0: What are you laughing at?
1: Myself. I'm hilarious.
0: Hello and welcome to It's the Greatest Show, Man, the podcast where we talk about the musicals you love and why they're great and why they're terrible. I am your host and ringmaster, Emily Chabone, and with me as always is my co-host and circus clown, Brantley Wheeler. I hate
1: that. <laughs> I hate it all. <laughs> I love uh, it so much. It makes my heart so yeah, happy. There, there's your so ob- stupid. There's your obligatory sigh that I just made at the beginning of every episode.
2: <laughs> <Ugh>.
0: <laughs> this is the only time I'm going to be this happy during this episode. <laughs> oh, I'm.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess we'll see. Okay, so,
2: <laughs> so how's it oh, going? It's
1: been a day. Same. But I am happy to be. Recording this for the second time today.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, we we barely got to the intro the first That's time. That's
1: true, but still. Anyway. Okay, let's talk about this. So, Emily, what incredibly specific show are we talking about today that you've done this fantastical intro for?
0: We are talking about Barnum the Musical.
2: Barnum
1: the Musical. Great. Yeah. Uh, so, this show... <laughs> It's, I mean, obviously very much so, you know, P.T. Barnum, very circus themed, this show. Um, There are at least a handful of shows, I think, that are like either circus based or circus inspired. Because I know that the Pippin revival was like circus, Mm. right? But that was a specific vision for the revival of Pippin. It wasn't like, it's not part of the original concept of that show. Um, But this straight up is like, this is a circus show. You know, it's about P.T. Barnum. So we should make it a circus show, which honestly, mad respect. That's hard (laughs) because it's very specific stuff that most theater people don't learn how to do right away. Mm -hmm. Unless maybe you kind of grew up around that stuff or uh, just have an interest in learning circus, circus performing arts, you know. It's cool that this was kind of like this marriage was made in my opinion between circus performing and like musical theater. Okay. Yeah.
0: <laughs> we'll get to it, but I have been in a production of Barnum mm-hmm. before. Yeah, you've told me. And that's part of why we chose it today. Oh. No spoilers, but uh <laughs> Uh, So uh, some show info Uh, Barnum the Musical has music by Cy Coleman lyrics by Michael Stewart and a book by Mark Bramble. The original Broadway production opened April 30th of 1980 featuring Jim Dale as P.T. Barnum and Glenn Close as Charity Barnum. It closed May 16th 1982 after 854 performances and was generally very well received. Uh, There was a June 1981 Kennedy Center production, and then the big West End production opened June 11th, 1981. It ran for 655 performances. There have also been two other major productions in the UK Uh, just in the last 10 years. There was the Chichester production in 2013, which had a tour, and then in uh, London in 2017. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: So from what I'm gathering is that this show seems to be a little more popular across the pond than it is here.
0: Yeah, for some reason. I have some theories about that. We'll talk about that later. Uh, Let me give you a, a short summary. If for some reason you're not familiar enough with Barnum, the person, to pretty much know what this already is... Uh, Barnum the Musical follows the life of legendary American showman P.T. Barnum from 1835 to 1880, including his careers as a museum owner, sideshow promoter, and politician, all while butting heads with his wife, Charity, whose black and white outlook clashes with his colorful view of the world. Each new beat of the story is introduced as a new circus act by the ringmaster and an ensemble of high-energy circus performers.
1: Woo! Woo! Mouthful. Anyway. It's...
0: It's the good version of The Greatest Showman.
1: <laughs> Hot take, I guess. Well, like, uh, I well. feel like, well, if we're going to talk about Barnum, we do need to at least mention The Greatest Showman, right? Now, I don't want to go into like a whole lot and like compare the two. I'm going to try really hard not right. to do that. Uh, I have definitely seen The Greatest Showman more than I've seen this. But after kind of conducting my own research for this and uh, just kind of looking at at PT Barnum as a whole I would say that this show Barnum the Musical is a more accurate representation of what his life was more like mm-hmm. uh than The Greatest Showman because particularly of where these shows kind of end um mm. as far as like the story that each one of these tells yeah. Barnum is a more accurate representation of PT Barnum the man than the greatest showman would be
0: right and I don't think either of them are particularly accurate
1: well I mean and that's the thing too it's like people will talk about um the problematic nature of what P.T. Barnum was doing but at right. the time and like I don't necessarily want to you know I don't want to defend exploitation but you know you have to think about too that he was paying these people he like you know with uh Joyce Heth and like Charles Schwab he did pay them they weren't unpaid performers right now he profited a lot off of just their straight up appearance (laughs) and he fabricated a lot of the stuff that he talked about but you know and this i mean this is is a very big part of this show in particular about his ability to stretch the truth more or less but you know it's like i think a lot of people look back now on pt barnum and have a lot to say as far as like what he was doing and all that but to be fair, in my opinion, I don't necessarily think he had bad intentions. He was just trying to make money. Sure, he was exploiting people for their specifically for their appearance. Yes, but I mean, and it's mentioned in the show too, where he's like, he doesn't. I don't. I don't know how accurate this was to him as a person either. But in the show, when he goes and meets Tom Thumb or tries to convince him to be a part of his, his show, he will not refer to them as freaks. He will call them, he refers to them as being special, right? Like they're unique. They're special. They're not freaks. Mm. Right. And I think that, uh, I think comes off as a, in a little bit better light than something like sideshow, which very much is about sideshows and freak shows, those types of things. Um, comparing this to that, in that respect, I don't, I don't know if PT Barnum was like a good guy or a bad guy. If you get what I'm trying to say.
0: I do. You're actually going way further than I was going to oh, go really? completely and just say that we're like people today who tell stories about PT Barnum are very um they're prone to romanticizing the story sure. and being like, "Oh, look at this man with this imagination and who was a storyteller and could captivate an audience" instead of being like Yeah, uh, maybe the animal performers in the circus weren't treated great. Like we we leave out the bad parts and we just focus in on all the great parts and like how captivating he was as a person. And it's like, Mm -hmm. well, he probably wasn't that amazing.
1: No, I mean, and that's fair to say, you know, but like I said, like straight up calling him like a villain. I don't know if that's accurate, but romanticizing and like basically have a hero worship of him, I don't think is also accurate as well. Um, and I do think that this show touches on that a little bit more than The Greatest Showman does. Um, I mean, it's still a, mm. still romantic. I feel like it does still romanticize like his life, but it oh, but it sure. does show things too that's like he didn't do everything perfect or do things the right way necessarily. At least that's the impression that I got from it when I saw it. Mm. So talking about this show, like what was interesting when I saw that the name that Cy Coleman was attached to it because I was like, oh, I know him. Yeah, he's a jazz musician. So for me, that was interesting to to see that. And like, I, I'm not the biggest fan of jazz music, um, but I did have to take a course in jazz, and <laughs> when I went to community college, uh, I actually like it was like it was like the only extracurricular class this particular campus offered. So I had to take I had to take jazz. It was like history of jazz or something like that. And Cy Coleman was one of the people that was mentioned in it.
0: You recognize Cy Coleman as a jazz musician and not a musical theater composer? Yeah,
1: I do. That's weird, right? <laughs>
0: Why are you on the show? <laughs> I honestly, I keep waiting for you to make a comment about Sweet Charity.
1: Uh, no, I wasn't going to do that.
0: Really? you Do you not know Sweet Charity?
1: And I don't know it that well. I've heard of it, but I'm no, I don't know it that well.
0: Oh, okay. Cy Coleman also wrote Sweet Charity, oh, okay. and like some of the melodic lines are in both. Oh, really? Exactly the like, same. Like Jenny Lin's song is also in Sweet Charity. Actually, fun fact. So I was in a production of Barnum when I was a sophomore in college. Mm-hmm. And uh, without getting too specific, it was very well received, and we went to the regional chapter of uh, ACTF with that show and it, it did pretty well there too. Um, we didn't move on to the national level because uh, like a really cool device piece won and deservedly so. But um, we, ended, we had to go. So we auditioned for that show in April, I think of 2012. They told us like go home over the summer. This is going to be the most physically intense show you've ever done. You better be getting into really good shape. Like we're expecting you all to be running and singing every day. Like, get in good shape. We had to come back a week early to go through a clown camp. They brought in a professional clown to, like, teach us all kinds of physicality and tricks and all kinds of stuff. And we did the show from August. We performed in October. And then, I don't know, a couple weeks later, we found out we were going to ACTF. Then we had to go back into rehearsal. We had to come back for spring semester early and be in, like, intense rehearsals again Uh, including having like an open dress for the college again to have more audience members and then load it up and take it like 600 miles away (laughs) to uh, like this big regional thing. And so we had a joke. Well, and see, here's the thing is that, um, it's probably obvious. I didn't have a good time. (laughs) Many of us did not enjoy the show. And so we had a joke. It was, you know, Barnum never dies. (laughs) And so uh, after I graduated and I worked at a performing arts summer camp, I was just like walking. It was like evening, like walking quietly across the camp, and then I hear that clarinet line of Jenny Lin's song. I was like, "Oh God, someone is doing Barnum at this camp." (laughs) Barnum never dies. And then my favorite director said, "Oh no, it's Sweet Charity. It's the same melody used in both." I was like, "Well, at least there's that."
1: Well, okay, that was a very roundabout way for you to tell that story.
0: I, well, and then The Greatest Showman was like a couple years after Mm. that, and everyone loves PT (laughs) Barnum, except for me, hashtag Barnum never dies.
1: Okay, well, I will just be straight up and say that I enjoyed this show for what it is as far as like, this is one heck of a spectacular show as far as like the amount of work and all the visual effects that are in this show, like, it's a lot. And I am sitting here watching it, and I was like, I feel like this show could only really be done with some place that's got a budget and has the time, right? Because, like, I don't think Bardham has done a lot in America, um, or even at the community theater level, because of how much stuff people expect with this show. I mean, granted, it's older now, and maybe people who are our age, who are not super well versed in musical theater, maybe don't even know that the show exists because the greatest showman kind of came in and took over this mm-hmm. whole story. But, um, I, I watched the pro shoot with, uh, Michael Crawford and I, and I enjoyed it. I enjoyed my time watching it. I really like the music. I like the jazz style music. It's very circus themed, which is what you should expect. Mm. Um, so like, it wasn't anything I didn't expect as far as that's concerned. I really did enjoy the music. It's very high energy. This whole show is like high energy. Almost to the point of exhaustion, I feel like. <laughs> like so much is happening. There's so much mm-hmm. going on. It was almost like watching a three-ring circus recorded, um which I think was is the point, right? And, you know, having done some research, too, and seeing how much work Michael Crawford himself had to do to learn all, like, these acrobatics tricks and, like, wire walking and juggling and unicycling, all this kind of stuff, I'm like, this is so much work for this show, and it's like... I feel like if you're gonna have put on a show and it's only gonna run for like a weekend, I don't know if it's worth it to do all that work. Kind of, and kind of like what you're saying, like you did it at, at the collegiate level where it did run for like one weekend performance, and then you had two like open rehearsals for people to come and watch it. Like that's a whole lot of work for a little payoff. Like the only way I could justify doing all of that is by having this show run for a while. Otherwise, all that work kind of just. Mm. I don't think it pays off necessarily because like the stuff that you have to like the stuff that is demonstrated in the show and what you may be expected to learn it's so much work it's a lot yep and I'm I'm assuming that's that's probably why you have (laughs) negative connotations with this show for the most part because of how much work this show is
0: if anyone who's affiliated with my undergrad university is listening uh especially if you're on production staff I'm sorry did not have a good time uh we just i don't i'm just gonna save this big point for later but i actually really just don't like the circus as a concept okay i uh let me find my my points because like it i don't i just I, don't, I can't explain it i don't like the whole like showman vibe and circus i always get pre-secondhand embarrassment anxiety and what I mean by that is that I sit there and I know what the performers are about to do and I am so scared that they are about to mess up and then feel embarrassed that I start to feel sick. <laughs> like like not and the, so then like the best case scenario when someone messes up is that they're just like embarrassed that they didn't do well. But then worst case scenario is someone falls and gets hurt or they light themselves on fire or like an animal eats them or something.
1: <laughs> I'm so embarrassed this lion ate me.
0: <laughs> no, I'm not embarrassed about that. I'm horrified, but like the best case scenario is that you like <laughs> drop your juggling balls and you'd go, oh, darn it. You pick them back up again. The worst case scenario is the lion eats you. Like I, oh man, I, I when I was a kid, there was <laughs> multiple circusy type events that my parents took me to. Mm-hmm. And from the time I was maybe six or seven, I had really vivid circus nightmares all the time (laughs) uh mom and dad I don't know if you know this but I had like terrifying gruesome circus dreams and so I've I've never ever ever liked the circus I also don't like the whole sideshow like don't you want to see a mermaid with two heads or whatever Barnum was selling in his (laughs) museum like I don't I don't like when car salesman type people try to give me their money, like try to trick me. I don't like that feeling. Sure. It's like, please leave me alone. (laughs) So nothing about this is appealing to me.
1: Fair.
2: And then also
0: I had to do, you know, in my musical theater program, if you were a musical theater major and you didn't get cast in the musical or like you opted not to do the musical, the only ways that was acceptable for you to not be ostracized in the program was, If you were doing something with, like, one of the theater groups nearby. uh, We had, like, a couple of professional theater companies, like, the next town over. And so if you were doing a show with them, that was okay. Or uh, the same semester we did Barnum, uh, we did A Raisin in the Sun. Mm -hmm. So some people got to be in that, and that was considered prestigious. Um, But obviously I was not a part of that production. Well, I I did get to help beneath a quick change. I was on the... quote unquote costume crew. I helped her with a quick change and I helped some of the performers get into hair and makeup before the show because I wanted to be a part of that production. But that's it. Like if you chose not to do the musical, you were basically saying that you didn't think the program was valuable and it felt like you were ostracized beyond that. So I was kind of, I felt socially forced to be involved in the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, yeah, <laughs> did not enjoy it.
1: Yeah, that's fair enough.
0: I'm also not a particularly physical performer. And so doing all the like circusy things was already out of my comfort zone, like learning the physical stuff. And then I had the joy of like the person I auditioned with, we learned how to do like the two person somersault. And we spent a long time rehearsing that. And we were able to we like we had a whole routine for our audition. It was really fun. And then she Transferred to a different school (laughs) i'm like okay (laughs) and then we come back for circus camp and uh i get put on this team of a couple of there's like four of us that learned how to juggle beach balls between multiple like three beach balls between two people and they were you know really big beach balls and we spent a long time because that's really hard to do because they're really light they don't have a lot of weight to them so if you catch like any kind of cross breeze. If, like if someone breathes on the other side of the room, sometimes those balls go flying. Yeah. So we spent a long time getting good at that. And then they cut that trick from the show. Oh, great. <laughs> so, yeah. So there's a big circus. I can't remember which number it was, but we had practiced this big, like, showy thing. And then I got to hold a bundle of balloons upstage right. And I was like, I spent all this time and energy, like, <laughs> weeks and weeks getting ready for the stuff. And I didn't do anything fun. And we did the show essentially twice, and they forgot to order my costume both times. Cool. <laughs> so there was multiple scenes I was supposed to be in that I didn't have a costume for. Um, yeah, it just was overall not a great experience. <laughs> so let's talk about the characters and the tracks great. in this Um you mentioned the overture and you want to start there. Oh, uh,
1: well, I think the overture is very fun. It does. The show does have one because it's from the seventies. So, you know, like again, like how I mentioned, I believe, yeah, last week talking about Baker street, um, how, because this is an older musical, it does have an overture and a lot of, a lot of modern musicals don't have an overture. Uh, but you know, I think that's fine. I don't necessarily think that we need to necessarily waste time with overtures. And not, not that I think that an overture is a waste of time. But it does I think (laughs) the look on your face. Like I said, I don't think it is, is what I said. I don't think an overture is a waste of time. I prefer to have one if we can have one. But I will say that the overture for this one for sure like I think sets the energy level because it is a very high energy overture. And it kinda plays little bits of songs every once in a while and there's like it's weird that I want to compare this overture to like Susical because susicle
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh no susicle was kind of circusy it was wasn't kind of it?
1: circusy yeah that's what i'm saying and there's even a circus in the show but anyway uh, <laughs> the for susicle is like got got like slide whistles and bells and all kinds of stuff like that and this one does feel like it has if, even if it even if it's not in there it does feel like it should have them and that kind of a weird thing but it like i said it's very circusy obviously intentionally because of because of P.T. Barnum but you basically play this along with like Send in the Clouds and Send in the Clowns and it's like they're very very similar I feel like
0: sorry you're talking about Send in the Clowns from a little night music
1: no I'm talking about I forget I think it's called that it's like that. whatever that is
0: I'm gonna google it because Send in the Clowns is not that's that's something different um Oh, okay. You are thinking Entry of the Gladiators.
1: That's what that one is?
0: It's also known as Thunder and Blazes.
1: Okay, then that yeah, that's what I I have always thought that song was called Send in the Clouds. Apparently I am wrong. Yeah,
0: no, Send in the Clouds is is the sad song from the end of the Little Night music, Oh
1: well in that case <laughs> I'm very wrong. That's fine. I, I will admit when I'm wrong.
0: <laughs> uh...
1: but anyway, you get but you get what I'm saying. Uh, but anyway, yeah, but yeah, this, the Overture really kind of sets the tone and it's called it, it says, uh, called the the chase, or like chase one or whatever. But because there's, this happens several times throughout the musical. Um, I think less so in the West End version, which I think is kind of the definitive version of this show. But there are less chases. There's less like times where like they're doing a scene change or whatever. And so they'll play this circusy music and then the people will come out and perform during it. Um it happens less I mean it doesn't really happen at all that much in the overture, but like in the middle of the show, like the original the original soundtrack version has two or three of those instead of uh just the one at the beginning and there's because there's not even one uh at the beginning of act 2, there's just not really um, but every time it's in the soundtrack, it's like a chase. Like, we have the Overture chase. There's a Humble Beginnings chase. Um, there's the Female of the Species chase. There's the Midway chase. There's all these kind of different things in there that are just... Oh, and then there's the Finale chase. So that's all just kind of instrumental breaks where the per- circus performers come out and just kind of do something. You know, whether, like, they're doing whatever tricks they, they are supposed to be doing, whether that's high wire or clowning or whatever it is. And I think that's kind of like, it's different than a typical, uh, a typical musical in the respect and the respect that no one's coming. Like, I mean, there are musicals that are just mostly dance kind of like uh mm-hmm. moving out is like one guy singing and with a band. And then there's like people dancing, telling the story, which is a very, very different type of musical, uh, but that's kind of the what I'm getting from that as well. It's like, well, these are the, these are the perform the just performance quote unquote performance art parts of the musical itself, right? Even though technically it's all a performing art, right? Uh, but that is, I feel like something that's very unique to this show as well is just the parts where they have people just come out and just do tricks.
0: I I think primarily, well, I think that there serves two purposes. I don't think that was intentional. At the initially, I think it was probably something that was thought of uh, in the rehearsal process to be like, hey, wouldn't it be fun if we incorporated our circus performers more mm-hmm. and also we distract the audience during the scene change.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's fair.
0: I mean, this show runs like an hour 50. It's pretty that's short. That's true. As far as full-length musicals go and I think a lot of that, is, and it the, the tempo doesn't ever slow down, I think a lot of no. yes. you can because you can bring a bunch of clowns out to juggle or spin plates uh-huh. or do whatever small thing that they're doing and isolate them in light so that a scene change can quickly happen. Right.
1: And I do think it was fun too. There's a couple of times where during during those chase sequences, I'll just say because that's, that's what I'm going re- to, I'll just refer it to that because that's what's referred to in the soundtrack or the track listing uh, is that they'll have the acrobats come out and as they're doing their tricks they're setting up the scene change. I thought yep. that's very clever and very cool that that, that was a, a way to incorporate this very circus related show and setting it up in that way like okay well like instead of just people walking out and pushing scene this uh, scenery on we'll just have the acrobats do it or whatever that's very very clever i can appreciate it. i can i can appreciate that and I, this like as a technical person this might be a dumb thing for me to say but i am all for actors bringing on their own stuff <laughs> <laughs> and like i will push for that more often than having crew come on stage to move things uh just because i think seeing crew is distracting because they're usually not in costume now if they are in costume that's different but a lot of the time they're not
0: yeah well and actually so i found a copy of the scripts ooh uh i it's not mine i returned it i swear <laughs> um, Honestly, I, it was Tam's Whitmark at the time uh, when I was in the show, mm-hmm. and Tam's Whitmark sends those. They used to send those terrible scripts that would only have your cue line and then your line, like it didn't have the full script.
2: Oh and I, right. Yeah. I
0: wasn't. I wasn't a character who had any lines. I was in the ensemble, and then I also understudied the blues singer. So I think I only got a music book. I don't think I ever had a script, but it does say in the stage directions of the script when scene changes need to happen. So this is right before the women's emporium chase. Like Mm -hmm. right when they're going to... uh, This is right before Colors of My Life. Mm -hmm. Uh, The stage directions say, snare drum roll as Barnum takes a coin, rubs it, spits on it, tosses it in the air, and then slaps it on the back of his wrist. He slowly uncovers it and shrugs in defeat as Barnum and Cherry turn to exit. Then the women's emporium chase starts plate balancers girls juggling cutlery and tumblers with table and chairs come on while sign reading the women's emporium where women work for equal wages drops in as two well scrubbed young women come on from left okay like so it's in the directions and it's like you need clown performers to come on and do the mm-hmm. thing
1: well i mean that and that's fair enough you know it makes sense like <laughs> uh it's probably based off of like what they had yeah
0: we did have a bunch of people who were in like clown costumes who learned all the like juggling and like plate spinning stuff who who actually like came on spinning plates.
1: That's fun.
0: I remember it, it was very those poor the poor clowns, it was very stressful for them because they had to learn a lot of the balancing tricks that I was never going to be able to <laughs> do. <laughs> and I was I did help set this scene. Uh-huh. And so I was always stressed for them. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I could definitely see how that would be the stressful. only thing
0: I carried—I can't remember what I, ca- I carried on a silver tray, and I can't remember if this is in the pro shoot or not because I honestly always get bored at the colors of my life and stop paying attention. Mm-hmm. Does he do the water glass trick where it changes co- the water changes yep. colors? Okay, great. Yeah, I had to set that trick for him.
1: That's fun. Tri- That's a thing too. Is like it does have a lot of fun, like sleight of hand stuff that he does, where like the scarf changes color or like the water, the water thing. And there's a couple different things that like yeah. also just some sleight of hand magic, which I will say probably is less hard to learn than some of the other things that are physical stuff.
0: The rumor was I don't know this for sure. Um, I actually I reached out on social media to see if any of my college associates. Uh, wanted to share memories from the show to kind of help jog my Mm -hmm. memory because, uh, my memory is not great, but also hashtag repressed memories, (laughs) um, (laughs) from the circus show. But I think they took our Barnum like to a magic camp also. Oh, okay. Or like took him to like a magic shop and worked. He like, our director, um, God, I hope she's not listening. She loved to spend money (laughs) on shows. (laughs) And we spent, that this our set was pretty minimal, which is why we were able to take it to ACTF. Mm-hmm. And it was really cool. We had like two little parapets and there was uh, an upstage platform, two upstage platforms maybe. It went all the way across uh, upstage. There were like a couple steps to get up to it. And it was painted, the floor was painted to look like uh, a circus ring. And it was all like, you know, bright, like red, white, and blue. I right. It, and some yellow in there too. Um, right. But it, like. Otherwise, it was pretty scaled back. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was that was a lot
1: of money spent. on show. I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> Most of that was probably and spent yeah, in training.
0: They taught. Ta- well, I don't know how expensive the clown. I mean, he's a like pretty well known clown. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's come. He came in. Came in. I want to say he came in for like a workshop the year before for like a day. Yeah. And then they brought him in for a whole week to train with like the whole theater. Okay. Department, which I mean. I guess that's a cool a cool experience, but uh, yeah. They, and then, like, hey, the I would have loved that. That I had, sounds fun. <laughs> I there were there were at least thirty five people in the show.
1: Okay. At least,
0: uh-huh. and all of us had at least five costumes, probably.
1: Good grief.
0: <laughs> I'm trying to think. I had because I should have had more costumes than I did. I had this like green wool dress. And then, like, I had an apron that went over it, and then like a different ape like that. I just changed that part multiple times. Whereas, like, other people had f- full dress changes. I had a band costume, right, I had a circus yeah. costume. I'm trying to remember if I had anything else. But then, like, Barnum had a ton. The ringmaster had a ton. Charity had a bunch. Right, like, yeah. Jenny Lind had a bunch. So, like, there were a there were a lot
2: of costumes. <laughs> oh man,
0: it's not a cheap show. And then and then we had to because our Barnum did not actually learn how to walk a tightrope. Uh, we flew him and made it look like he was walking a tightrope. Yeah. And so he, Barnum had to fly. Uh, the ringmaster learned how to fly. And then I think someone else in the ensemble also learned that trick. Oh, that was my other costume. I wore stilts at one point.
2: Oh, that's fun.
0: <laughs> so I had stilt pants. Um, yeah. So like we, we had, they had to rig the space cause we didn't have a full fly system. So they had to rig the space to fly anyone period. And then like hiring a flight director and all this stuff it, they spent oh at least 60 grand. On yeah.
1: Show. That sounds like it'd be an expensive show to do, which is probably why it's not a community theater or high school show. Cause it's too hard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, anyway, anyway, <laughs>
2: uh,
1: so talking about character and, uh, and the music, right. Uh, so, opening number, right, after the overture, there's a sucker born every minute. That is, I think, the Barnum number from the show, for sure.
0: As I as I teach my Theater One students, the opening number tells you everything you need to know about the show. And Barnum, right. if, you, if you're not endeared to Barnum by the end of the opening number, you might as well just leave because you're not going to have a good time. All right,
1: yeah. Yeah. You
0: have to like Barnum by the end of the opening. Oh yeah,
1: for sure. I mean it's such a quintessence. like this like I said, the overture kind of sets the tone. This really sets the tone for that specific, for that specific character. So you like really need your Barnum to be like this big, showy, charismatic guy. Otherwise, mm-hmm. yeah, like you said, you might as well just not do this show. Um
0: Well, I think you're right. This is, like, the number that people think of from Barnum. Uh Um, I don't know if you saw it back in May. uh, PBS did a concert performance. It was, like, celebrating 50 years of Broadway's best Mm -hmm. with, like, the great performance Golden Anniversary. And uh, they did this song.
1: Oh, they did, huh?
0: Raul Esparza did this. Oh,
1: wow. Okay.
0: I I remember I was watching it with my husband, and I was like, wait a second. (laughs) What is he doing here? And then, like... Then my husband was like, "There's a Barnum musical." It's like, "Yeah, we were we were dating when I did this
2: musical." <laughs> <laughs> well, he didn't come see. Well,
1: I yeah, that doesn't sound like he would do that anyway. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, it's. A, I will admit, like this is a fun song. I don't think it's like you know, if you're in, if you're wanting to do an audition piece, I don't think this is one you should do because it's not particularly musically difficult. I think it just this has <laughs> to shows off a lot of like. Well, I think mean, if you could, maybe maybe you could, but it has to show off more of your your ability to just put yourself out there and just do whatever. That's kind of what the song is. It's not necessarily like a vocally challenging song musically, but there's a lot of words and it's a lot of characterization. The show is the song is pretty much all characterization. I feel like.
0: <laughs> I personally, I think P.T. Barnum is probably one of the tougher roles to play. Uh in musical theater not just because of the physical demands but the personality like character work Mm -hmm. demands i don't know if you could tell but i do not do well with like charismatic characters (laughs) what (laughs) like the like charming fun high energy (laughs) characters right i'm like that's that's a struggle for me anytime (laughs) i've had to try to play like like anyone that's endearing Mm -hmm. i can't i just can't like i don't feel it in my bones and so if you can do that (laughs) That's more power to you.
1: Yeah. I I remember watching this show thinking, oh, this would be a really fun part to play, but I don't know if I have the chops for it, honestly. Like, I don't know.
0: That's really funny. I was also thinking that, uh, like, when we do all these musicals, I don't often... I don't want you to take this as an insult. I don't often think of you as a leading man character oh that's
1: fine i, I don't see myself that way necessarily I, either
0: i often want you to play a villain but i think that's because i <laughs> that's know you're kind of I a wheelhouse though honestly like, if, like if I, I, I know a you're show, a good person but well yeah yeah
1: <laughs> well that's i mean like i said that's, <laughs> that's kind of just my wheelhouse just like i usually play i have played a lot of villains and i'll play a lot of cynical characters very rarely do i get to like go out and stretch my uh my I guess my my silly bone I don't know if that's over, something I really even want to refer to it as uh but
0: that's that's it, that's what we're calling it <laughs> a silly bone go stretch totally your balance. silly bone
1: <laughs> <laughs> but like I can think of a one play I did in college where I kind of got to be more uh out of the box with my characterization and I had a lot of fun with that And I was like apparently I learned later on that a lot of the people that were in that show with me uh did not enjoy their time in it, but I had a really fun time. I had a really great time doing Mm -hmm. something that was not my standard, typical, like serious acting style of being the villain or, uh, being the antagonist in some way. Cause like in my favorite show I ever did, I didn't play the villain. I just was the antagonist. Uh, but even then, like the last musical I was in, I was in something rotten. I played Nick bottom And he's not a kind of a silly character. He can be, but he's not particularly that I would say. And, you know, he's also not, not the good guy of the story either. (laughs) So it's kind of a, he's kind Mm, of a weird, a weird thing to fit in, but that's a character that I, I feel like I play decently well. But going out there and trying to do something like this, it's like, man, you got to go all out right at the beginning. You have. To, I don't know if I would say Barnum carries the show, but he definitely is like the main. Do you think so?
0: Oh, you don't do this show if you don't have a Barnum.
1: Well, yeah, I suppose that's true. Because like he's the one, he is the guy that comes out, he addresses the audience directly and then starts this whole thing off. And so, yeah, I got. Yeah, if you don't have a good Barnum, there's just, you can't do this.
0: Barnum probably has. 67% of the entire show like dialogue lyrics music all that stuff. he probably mm-hmm. has all 67% of that by himself right. honestly uh, maybe that's an exaggeration I think half certainly sure um, I would say that's true but tribunal. I do think like that it's not often that I think like oh yeah that's a good leading man role for you I honestly I think I would rather see you play the ringmaster I do think the ringmaster was really underutilized in the pro shoot
1: yeah, I'd say so. Like he does um, he does quite a few tricks and comes out and talks a lot, but I'd say that's kind I of, that feels kinda of true. Like he's in a lot, but he doesn't do a lot.
0: Our yeah, our ringmaster, uh, when I was in college, oh boy, that kid learned every trick. Um, like he learned he learned to fly so he could do the tie rope. He learned to unicycle, he learned to juggle, he learned to walk in stilts, like he learned every single thing that anyone had to do. Like he also knew how to do it. And so at every scene change, whenever the ringmaster comes on and says something, he was out there in a new costume doing a new trick. And he kept he kept popping up. And um, in my opinion, he was the most fun person to watch. Mm -hmm. Just because like it was like, oh, what's he going to do next? Because he was always doing something crazy. And so like you have to love Barnum. But like the ringmaster also needs to be exciting. I don't know. I think you could play either role. That, I guess that was the point of that.
1: Oh, well, thanks. I'll, <laughs> I'll take that as a compliment. Uh, <laughs> but like, what's fun? What's funny to me, also, is that uh, I learned this as I was doing research: is that that line "There's a sucker born every minute" is usually attributed to PT Barnum, but there's no real evidence he actually said that <laughs> or, or coined mm-hmm. that phrase. Uh, I mean, I mean, it sounds like something he would say, I guess. But right. you know, I guess. But I mean, like I said everything that's based off of a person whether it's a movie a musical a television show when it's based off of a real person liberties are always taken it doesn't matter mm-hmm. you know it doesn't matter who they are um but for this specifically it's like i know they changed the order of things that happen in his life a little bit uh but not a whole lot because it starts off with uh him finding Joyce Heth—it's like one of the first things he did—and um, he didn't start. He didn't start this whole business until like much later in life. He has—he was like in his 40s to 50s, I think, when he started it. Um, he was not a young man when he started doing all of this circus business, entertainment business, but starting off with like the American Museum and moving on to, uh, uh, you know, he he did the American museum thing. Then he took that on tour and then he went into politics stopped. And well, he was like, then he picked up Jenny Lind and was sponsoring that show. And then he went on and, uh, it was in politics. And then a the very end, he's like, like when he's like in his sixties, he started the circus or join, or joined the circus or whatever. And this, and this story more or less follows that track. Um, uh, but I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm getting ahead of myself here. <laughs> uh, Anyway, but this the opening number. Yeah, the, uh, uh, there's, there's a sucker born every minute. Is a great character song, and I believe there are only two characters in this show that break the fourth wall. For the most part, it's just Barnum and the Ringmaster. They address the audience directly a lot of the time, um, unless you want to put all the count all the ensemble members that go out into the audience and also perform. Uh, but that's kind of a different thing. I feel like no I don't
0: <laughs> I this is a point of contention that you and I have and uh, listeners you can settle this argument if you want to when actors enter from the audience that is not inherently breaking the fourth wall as in addressing the audience that's just immersive
1: yeah I don't ha- and <laughs> I don't have a problem with immersion I just don't think it needs to happen every show Emily
0: only have two wings I get bored
1: yeah well whatever be bored
0: uh so my my argument is actually i don't think the ringmaster really breaks the fourth wall now this is maybe getting into semantics but i think barnum directly addresses the audience and is aware that we are telling the story of his life Mm -hmm. whereas the ringmaster is just part of a circus okay there's no like asides from the ringmaster it's just like now presenting the next thing
1: Sure, but I could see how you could make that argument as well. Like, technically, he's not breaking the fourth wall because he's not addressing the audience directly. He's addressing the audience in, like, quotations as far as, like, because he's at the circus and he's introducing, you know, kind of whatever.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think he's, he's like a construct of, of Barnum putting on this show about himself. Sure,
1: that makes sense. I could concede that.
0: <laughs> okay, well, that brings us to Joyce Heth and thank God I'm old.
1: Oh, yeah. So, um, I will say I do think it was I feel like I don't know if I'd say if it's a good idea to include this character necessarily, but it's more accurate to the story of P.T. Barnum to include this character because this was like his first quote unquote sideshow that he put in that he like kind of advertised himself, you know, and obviously there's a sucker born every minute talks about how much like he's like, I'm a good liar. Basically, (laughs) it's like and Mm -hmm. everything I'm about to tell you is like is true to an extent, right? He talks about how much he kind of he spins the truth to kind of to kind of make it more entertaining for people and he's his argument kind of is like, well it's it's harmless. I'm not hurting anyone by doing this. Mm-hmm. Right. Um so when he essentially purchases Joyce Heth's performance contract, he puts her out there and he, she's like, Oh, she's the oldest woman that ever lived, like she used to be George Washington's nurse all this kind of stuff. And I do think the number is fun. Um, I don't know. It's it's kind of fun to watch, you know, and, like, it could be a, uh, a kind of like a star turn for whoever's cast in that role. Eh. You don't think so?
0: She doesn't really have anything to do for the rest of the show.
1: Well, she yeah, uh, she's just kind of in the ensemble for the rest of the time.
0: Until Jumping Ahead, Black, black and, and White, white right. which is, like... Yeah. <sighs> It kind of feels like, oh, you're black, so you can sing bluesy, right? Right. Well, Well, and this is something I don't, I don't, we don't really need to dig into this, but like I already said, I I understudied the blues singer, Mm -hmm. and uh, I don't know if you can tell, but I'm white. (laughs) AF. So, like, mm, and I guess there's nothing, the blues singer doesn't have anything to do except sing that song. There's no other context. So, I guess maybe it's okay. But, yeah,
2: okay,
1: well, yeah I, I could kind of see that, but yes, but this, but Joyce hath herself needs to be black,
0: yeah, so yeah, um, uh, yeah,, <laughs> it was uh more than, um, almost eleven years ago, mm-hmm. but
1: still, anyway, yeah. anyway, I
0: don't feel like I need to be the one to talk about that
1: one, <laughs> I know, but anyway, the song is there
0: are more important voices that can talk about that one, so if you
1: for sure, yeah. Sorry, what were are saying? I just was saying that the song is relatively fun. I don't think it necessarily detracts from the show at all. Um, it is kind of just that token role, though. Mm-hmm. So there's that.
0: Well, and it's tricky because you have... The way the show is set up, you have to like Barnum. Mm-hmm. And I think you could include this number with the context that, like, Barnum did some stuff that probably wasn't good, but then you're detracting from the whole point, which is that oh, Barnum's amazing, and, like this nostalgia and romanticism of the american dream and so right th- there's not a way to include this and also achieve your desired outcome without just being like oh a fun number so right. yeah <sighs> history's tricky
1: yeah yeah it is but anyway we'll move on moving on <laughs> move on from that um the next one is like actually we meet charity at the very beginning as well don't we
0: uh yes, well let's, talk about, let's charity. talk about charity. Charity. So as a role, uh, I think this is a really hard role. It's deceptively hard. Mm-hmm. Um, the vocals are more demanding than you would think. Every time she sings solo, it's well within alto range. Like it's that middle-aged woman alto range. Like I would liken it to like Donna in Mamma Mia, where it's it's pretty low. Oh, Okay,
1: yeah, yeah for sure uh
0: but then when she sings with the ensemble or when she's singing duets with barnum then she's singing in a more traditional like mezzo soprano range Hmm. so she's kind of all over the place and sometimes within the same song and you can see this in the pro shoot if you're listening for it uh um one brick at a time does this too she sings with the she sings solo and she sings this like all low chest voice and then suddenly like the male section comes in, and she's singing in a uh, like a fifth up, and then in a crazy uh, yeah. Hmm. It's a deceptively hard role, and I also it's I think it's really hard to to like her as a character because she has to be a foil to Barnum.
1: I don't think that's necessarily true. Like I never disliked Charity at any point.
0: Oh, I found her in so like <laughs> great. <grading. laughs>
1: well, here is is something that I that I had heard. Uh, I watched an interview with Marcus Brigstock who played Barnum in the 2017 revival. And mm-hmm. the, he, uh, describes charity as being like essentially PT Barnum's tether to like reality because he's got like all these big ideas and he's very out there and like world full of color. And she's very like, uh, I don't necessarily want to say hard nose, but she's very much like more of a straight shooter type of personality. And I feel mm. like, you know, when they say opposite attract, I kind of get that vibe from this where like he's super, very eccentric and she's more grounded. And then putting them together, it kind of pulls him back down and makes him see things. Cause if he's just kind of left untethered, he's kind of flying around everywhere doing whatever. And I know like in the, in the real life story of PT Barnum, he wasted a ton of money on a lot of different things. Um, but Charity is portrayed more as this character that kind of prevents him from doing that, probably for the better, because one of the first things, I mean, like this whole song, right, uh, Colors of My Life, mm-hmm. um, is about their different perspectives on everything. She sees things more from a perspective of black and white, where there's like things you have to do to get things done. But he doesn't want to do that. He sees this world full of color, and he wants to bring all of this, you know, I I feel like that they balance each other out in a relatively good way, right? Where he's just super eccentric and out out there, you know, um spending all of his time trying chasing dreams and she's more thinking like I have to stay, I'm going to stay here and like take care of our kids and do what I have to do so that he can go do all these things, right? And I think there are a lot of relationships nowadays that are kind of more like this, but even then it's like It's usually not the same. And I feel like a lot of the time too, even like today, people like that or or couples like that don't tend to stay together very long.
0: I I see what you're saying. And I'm not opposed to the idea that opposites attract. Mm -hmm. But I think from the very first time, the first couple of times actually, that we meet Charity Barnum, she's just angry and like
1: kind of pissy. I don't think she comes off that way at all
0: oh i I don't I wonder if it's a product of its time maybe like oh, it's funny to have a nagging wife who hates everything you do because I don't I remember there was a lot of character work in the production I was in to make sure that charity came off as sympathetic mm-hmm. and I think the performer uh, who played her in that college production did a really great job but I yeah, I just think in the that pro shoot she's just like from the very beginning. She's sitting in that box and I can't remember what she's like I'm gonna leave and then she like marches on she's like you kept me waiting for an hour and 15 minutes nag 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 and I don't think they set up the fact that they love each other enough Okay, for me to buy that like oh they're just different like okay yeah it's a, it's a different time too Where like did Charity Barnum have a ch- like maybe she really didn't know what he was like before they got married.
1: I mean that's a possibility sure.
0: And, uh,
1: I mean, it, it does, in the, in that song, does describe kind of how they met, where, like, they couldn't really see each other because of some kind of, they were trapped in a rainstorm, I think, and so they couldn't really see each other. Mm-hmm. Right. So it, and then, like, I guess they just had to go strictly based off of, like, their conversation. Sure. I mean, I don't think that justifies, like, oh, we should get married now. And, like, I don't know how long they were together before that happened. It doesn't really delve into, like, their, early relationship and things like that not necessarily but i get the like i and maybe it's me bringing in uh previous knowledge of being like my knowledge of knowing that pt barnum really did care about his wife like a lot and it wasn't
0: well i i don't i no i agree with you i think he cared about his wife a lot i just don't see why she liked him <laughs> honestly and i get like I Maybe she didn't have a choice and, like, obviously divorce wasn't really an option at that point and would have been more taboo and, like, she was depending on him. But, like, I don't see any reason for her to want to be in that relationship. Sure. Because her outlook on life is so, like, black and white and earth tones Mm -hmm. for her to be married to this, like, rainbow colors type person who's, like, looking at the world through spectacular lenses and doing right. all these well, uh, grand, okay. crazy things that she's not into. Like, why would she want to be in that relationship? I don't see anything appealing about that. <laughs> I, don't, I get sure. her being pissed off at him, but, like, I don't get the sympathy at all.
1: Okay. Well, I mean, like I said, I don't necessarily see their relationship, as, uh, I, or even in this song of them like, be like being, like, mad at each other. I do think that... I get the impression that she likes him because he is the way that he is, because he, he's kind of... He feels like... I think he comes off as like an eternal optimist and she's not necessarily that way. So he kind of brings her or she brings him down and he brings her up. Mm. That's kind of how I, how I see that. Right. I mean, because she does a a couple of times say like, you know, uh, especially when, after the Joyce Heth thing, she's like, you know, this isn't really working. We should go, uh, you should go work at the clock factory. And he, and he's Mm -hmm. like, I don't want to do that. He's like, He's like, I It's so it's so boring. I get I'd be so bored of this life and not all this kind of stuff. And he convinces her to let him go and invest in the American museum that he partners with somebody in, and then he goes in like full in on that. And again, it's more of his like fabrications that he can kind of put out there. But you know, I just I think that I don't know, maybe he is just it's one of those things, it's like <laughs> thinking about like it's it is a weird relationship to think about because it seems like it it wouldn't work but somehow it does you know just like his his eccentricities and his desire to go out and not necessarily be famous but like i don't think he's i don't think his goal is to necessarily be famous right i think his his goal is to bring joy to people, at least in this in this iteration of the character. I think his he wants to make people happy and entertain people. And so he goes this route to do it and she understands what he's trying to do and she'll just kinda like, okay, well, go do your thing and then if it doesn't work out, come back home and work on this. And then he's like, Great, cool, see you later. And he goes and does his thing. But like she's there helping him the entire time is kind of how I see this relationship.
0: Yes. Well, and I I think it's positive for him. I just don't know what she's getting out of it.
1: She got four kids out of it, apparently.
0: (laughs) Well, that we don't even address in the musical, but like they mentioned them, but she she goes to the women's emporium and she's like, yeah, women's suffrage. And then they make a joke out of it.
1: Mm -hmm. That's true.
0: Or like like what is she she's like, I don't want to go put on. I mean, jumping ahead a little bit this is after the museum song where he's like, it's been one year since the museum opened and it's fantastic. And here's a string of pearls and put on a great dress. I'm going to take you out because it's my God given right to show off my beautiful wife to the world. And he's like, and if you don't, we're going to have to return your anniversary gift. And she's like, okay, here are your pearls
1: back. (laughs) Which I thought was pretty funny. Like I don't want to. That was pretty funny.
0: But like every, everything that she's done, if she's being negative about something, it's like, Oh, like, charity's bringing it down and then when she's right about stuff like she's doing a favor to barnum i think by grounding him but i think she's like he's just a thorn in her side the whole time except for occasionally he sings a nice song to her and then she has a moment of like oh yeah i still love you yeah
2: it's
0: like but why if my husband were like that, no, bye.
1: <laughs> well, the thing that's weird, like I just, I just, I don't know if it is what it is. I just don't be see it that way. Taking
0: care of you, you're a grown man.
1: I, d- I feel like you just don't like this character, <laughs> and that's why you're so negative about the whole thing.
0: I mean, I don't like Barnum or Charity really. But <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't like any of this, uh, honestly. Whatever. I'm glad people like it and find it endearing. Mm-hmm. And I hope that the opposite is attracting reads to other people. It just doesn't quite work for me. Sure. I get that. I don't think, I think I need more in the book that's like sweet and lovey for me to believe mm-hmm. that, that they love each other more than their own outlooks on the world.
1: Sure. Well, uh, let me, I want to talk about this song specific, this, this song specifically in the show. Right. Okay. So this is probably, so Colors of My Life. Honestly, mm-hmm. probably my least favorite song on the show. And weirdly enough, it's because it drags the show. I feel like it drags the show down.
0: I agree. Uh, I have a note somewhere that all of the music sounds like a circus, except for Colors of My Life. Yeah, And then I think you could argue for I Like Your Style the first time it comes up, but then there's an instrumental version right after that that sounds like a calliope, so forgiven. But yeah, Colors of My Life is so <laughs> boring. Yeah. I think Barnum just needed a breath.
1: Maybe. I mean, because like, honestly, <laughs> like looking at the overture and then going into like, the a sucker born every minute. And then thank God I'm old. It's like high tempo, high tempo, high tempo, high tempo. Mm-hmm. Until you finally get to this song where it's like, though it's, you know, it's this, not a confrontation, but it's conversation between Charity and Taylor. as She refers to him a lot of the time, calls him Taylor. You know, this, it, I don't know what it is. It's like, because maybe because it's been so high energy up to this point that when this hits, it feels very abrupt. Mm -hmm. It feels like, and it kind of like doesn't stop the show, but like it starts to kind of diminish a bit and then it picks back up again and it stays kind of high energy. This is not the only part of the, of this show that I feel this way, but it does kind of, kind of drag a bit. I understand the sentiment of the song. Mm. I just don't, I just, I don't like it. (laughs) Yeah. I think that I Like Your Style sets up Charity and Barnum's relationship better than this song does because this feels more like a, it feels slightly more confrontational where I Like Your Style is more playful.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. Actually, um, I was just thinking it would make more sense for me uh, in the context of the whole show to have I Like Your Style in this spot. And then put colors of my life, like just mm-hmm. switch their places in the show, um, especially like as setting up more conflict between them. Because um, we'll talk about Jenny Lind in a second, mm-hmm. but uh, I mean, the colors of my life. Obviously, there's lots of lyrics that are colors, correct? And uh, but specifically, what I want to point out is in part part one of Colors of My Life is Barnum's part, and then Charity sings part two. Mm-hmm. He specifically says, no quiet browns and grays. And then she says that she wants, like, the browns and grays and the earth tones. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she sings, the colors of my life are softer than a breeze, the silver gray of eider down, the dappled green of trees, the amber of a wheatfield, like, all earth tones. Mm -hmm. And he's talking all rainbow colors. Mm -hmm. Like, they are specifically singing opposite of each other. Right.
1: Again, I think that does set up their relationship as, like, her being more grounded and him being more fantastical in that way.
0: I think there's enough textual evidence for that early on that like we, we, we get, get it. that. So, <laughs> yeah, I would flop those, I think. Okay. Okay, one brick at a time.
1: Okay. So, one brick at a time I think is um this is I think Charity has more fun in this song. For sure. Mm-hmm. Like she's like she's helping him rebuild or establish the American Museum. I forget what it's called. It's Bards's American Museum. We'll just call it that. Something like that. Um,
0: I remember... I think this was my favorite song in the show to perform. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this number lends itself to spectacle. Oh, for sure. In ways that the songs before that don't necessarily... Like, you can always have circus performers come out and do something.
1: There's a lot of clowning in the proshoot of this particular number. <laughs> a lot.
0: Yes, and that was... I remember there were a few days dedicated to learning how to toss bricks on beat and like <laughs> make sure they were consistent so you could catch them. Cause we did a similar thing. And when you do it with 30 people, it's chaos. Oh yeah. Um, but I re- like watching the pro shoot, um, this, <laughs> like I'm kind of embarrassed to admit this, but I got like surprisingly emotional a couple of times to be like, Oh yeah, I had to, I had to do that thing.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> like, like, dredging up these feelings that I forgot I had. And this was one of those moments, like, one brick at a time, there were a couple of moments where I was like, some, sometimes music makes me emotional, and this was one of those times, like, why am I upset about Like, why does this make me want to cry?
1: That is a little weird. This is not a song was, I would I, think that would do that. I don't know. It's cool. And that's
0: also where it's like, I Like Your Style would flow into this better when... Barnum's like, oh no, we'll never get to do. it And she's like, don't worry, we'll figure yeah. it out. Like, but you were you were just singing about how you don't like his life. <laughs> Why are you helping him?
1: Okay, yeah, I get what you're saying there, and that I think that makes sense to that you know, to that in that respect. Yeah, that makes more like, sense roll to me up too. And be
0: like, we're gonna do it. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, I do like one brick at a time. I don't. Yeah, it's a fun, so. I think lyrically, I I mean, the music is very good across the board, and I think lyrically, it's very consistently good musical theater mm-hmm. writing. So I appreciate it. Okay, the
1: museum okay, song. So, the museum song. I want to hear you sing <laughs> so badly. I'll be Well, it's funny you say that. Uh, this is my favorite song on the show.
0: <laughs> okay, great. So, next year for musical theater, <laughs> you want to do the museum song for me.
1: So, I'm going to look up the lyrics here real quick. I didn't have this. I thought about I should have done this <gasps> sooner.
0: Quite a lot of Roman huh? Yeah.
1: It's so it's so fun.
0: From the it's a good party trick. If you're around musical theater people, this is one of those songs.
1: This, um, it's not quite a patter song, right? Or is it a patter song?
0: Venus on the Shell, other works of art. What?
1: Um, So is this this a patter song? It is a patter song. Okay.
0: I mean, I I guess you could argue against it, but it's a patter song. I mean,
1: I I was unsure because it seems to have more of a melody than like the patter songs that immediately come to mind for me.
0: Uh, yeah, i I mean, I guess you could argue a, you if you really wanted to argue against it, but by the time you get to the second verse, it's surely who would argue against, yeah, it's a patter song. And honestly, I, I forgot th- about this song. I wish I had known this because there are always kids in my musical theater unit who are looking for patter mm-hmm. songs so that they can do the minimum singing singing quote unquote requirement without having to worry about being beautiful mm-hmm. singers and i always am looking for more and i forgot about this one
1: this is a fun song a lot i i i like the uh i think the rhymes are really clever um he's literally just listing things in the museum that's like this whole song right mm-hmm. but it's so fun cuz he's like you know having trying to get people to come in and and walk around and see things and uh and the fact that it changes tempo halfway through and like it's faster like that's so much harder to to do but it's a very impressive like you said like it's a party it's almost like a party trick to do this song because it's it's really it's very clever um i do think it's funny like in the context of what's happening in the show people are coming in and it's so successful people love it so much that they're not leaving (laughs) because like his partner's like they're not leaving like they're coming in they're going to the top floor they're going to the bottom and then they do it again and they're not leaving and so he's like He's like, okay, we'll put this sign up (laughs) that says, uh, what does it say to the, to the egress and they go, Oh, until they leave because they don't know what egress means. (laughs) It's like,
0: (laughs) I honestly, that was the reason I wanted to watch this week. Sometimes, you know, we don't usually watch these shows together. Not usually, no. Uh, and so there's a couple that we have seen together, but most of them we haven't. And, uh. I wanted to see just that moment with you honestly because I knew you were going to roll your eyes at egress. No, I didn't. I thought it was funny.
1: <laughs> I was like, "Ah, it's great." <laughs> but like when he said egress, I was like, that just means leave or that means exit. And then he said, "Oh yeah, yeah, this is what it means." And I was like, "Oh yeah, well that's pretty that's I thought that was yeah, very yeah. clever and like, you know, kudos to the to the writers for that one. That's funny.
2: Mhm.
0: and I love I think the rhyme scheme of this song because This is one, the English teacher in me, um, I'm not an English teacher, but I am certified to teach English. was like, let's Mm -hmm. talk about rhyme schemes of poetry. I would pull this song out as an option because each, so each verse is kind of broken into two stanzas. And line one of the first stanza rhymes with itself. It's like quite a lot of Roman terracotta. Mm -hmm. And then line two is, uh, going to rhyme with line two in the next verse and then line three has the internal rhyme again and then line four rhymes with the next verse mm-hmm. did you catch that yes and then then the rest of them have in inter- like the next part of that verse has three rhymes and then a, a, the fourth thing rhymes later like like Crow and Sue, who are going to be showing you some rowing through a model of the rapids on the Delaware? Like,
2: who? Yeah.
1: This is not this is Words. not an easy song. <laughs> um, I don't. I mean, like, the way that I think about it too, it's like I do feel like, um, I feel like I keep coming back to Pirates of Penzance, for like whatever Gilbert and Sullivan, whatever. <laughs> but just like comparing this song to like a matter, or comparing it to, um. I am the very model of a modern major general like that song can get pretty can get Uh pretty fast too but this song is I honestly would say this song is more fun than either of those (laughs) it's a lot of fun just because of like what he's talking about and like the melody and like the music is I don't know it's a it's a much more boppy song than either of those two and so I really appreciate I'm like this again like I said favorite song in the whole show it's simple in its presentation but the lyrically is very complex (laughs)
0: Yeah, it sure is. I I was just thinking, um, the actor who played Barnum in in the production mm-hmm. I was in, uh, I was pretty good friends with him our freshman year. Um, we just we just like got along. We had a lot in common, and then he was cast as Barnum as a sophomore, and uh, he's a really talented performer. But I remember we did not see him like at all because he was constantly trying to learn <laughs> stuff for this show. Like, I never learned the lyrics to this song when I was in, like, didn't know any of them because he was just constantly, like, I remember nothing except for, uh, we did it very similarly to the pro shoot where there's the little arch with the bricks and he collects all the dollars Mm -hmm. and we kind of did that same thing. (laughs) I, like, walked through the arch and I do remember I had to cross the stage a couple of times, couldn't tell you what my cues were, like. Didn't know any of the <laughs> words.
1: You had to listen to for your cue musically.
0: Watch, looking at the lyrics now, I don't have any memory <laughs> of any of these except for the "Run around the block, mm-hmm. run around the block and see a new show start." That's the only part I remember.
1: Run around the block and see a Run around the block and see her. Run around the block and see a new show start. Run around the block and
0: see. I, I think I, I remember Venus on a shell.
1: other uh, works of art. <laughs> That's really funny. Yeah, I thought that was great too.
0: Being like, oh yeah, Venus on a shell. But like uh, uh <laughs> Uh, hot and tots we've gotten in forgotten spots of Cotton Gin a, a night a night with Lot and Sodom better see that twice. Mm-hmm. Didn't catch that joke until this time around. Like,
1: yeah, I mean, again, the like, song is so it's there's some, good, there's some jokes. good jokes in the song. It's really good. It's very very yeah. fun. Take that, Pesek and Paul. This song is better than anything you wrote. <laughs> <laughs>
0: he said it, not me. I mean, I'll be honest. Um, I wonder if for the pro shoot things were toned back in physicality so there's this legend that michael crawford lost seven pounds every day performing this show because it was so Mm -hmm. high energy and he doesn't actually do that much dancing or moving around well (laughs) in the pro Uh shoot i wonder how much of it they forced him to stand still so the camera could catch him better i don't know that's a good question because honestly like there are a couple of numbers like that where he's just kind of there and he's not even giving me that much face.
1: Sure, yeah.
0: So I wonder if he was just he was there was much more movement in a like if you were to sit in the audience and watch it Maybe. than in the project. Well, show. I
1: do remember watching a behind the scenes thing as well. Um, and he was showing this guy, like, Oh, here's what I have to do for this one specific costume slash scene change and he had to run up like three flights of stairs in like twenty seconds. And I'm like, Well yeah, that if you did that every day for like <laughs> uh, several months yeah you're probably gonna lose a lot of weight
0: (laughs) yeah but to say to say you lose seven pounds per Per show
1: show is is insane
0: like every day like well and i went i went back and watched it again after i because i watched the same Mm -hmm. interview that you're talking about i watched it back later and that is the time that he has to get up there is i don't know if it's classified as the finale chase or if that's still part of join the circus, it's way more than one minute. He's got a lot of time.
1: Is it? Okay.
0: But still, I either mean, either way, that, he—that's a quick change. Yeah. But either way, he—he was—he was, ex- he was PT Barnum. Yes, you.
1: he might have been. I don't know. <laughs> right. So uh, yeah, the museum song, best song in the show, and then the—I think my favorite duet is probably a Like Your Style. It's one of the only duets in the show. There's not very many. Um, but this is the one that we talked about where <laughs> would be better where colors of my life is like flipped as far as like thematically probably would work a little bit better,
0: yeah, I think it would set up the cherry Barnum relationship better, and i I think the book still needs work, but I think this would make me believe that they actually like each other, sure, in addition to for some reason loving each other,
1: right, yeah, <laughs> I get I get that. I get what you're saying, but, yeah, this is the one that has, like the country. The country kind of feel to yeah, it. Yeah, it feels it's a uh,
0: like a country yeah. waltz when they sing it. But then later like right after this song, um is when he decides to go to oh, this is the Tom Thumb meeting right after that. Right, yeah. But he he suddenly has to leave and she's like, Okay, go and then there's uh instrumental music that continues this theme and it's it sounds like a calliope and then it's like, Oh, it is circus music, it works. I got you. Oh, so it's just the cool. instrumentation on this one.
1: Yeah, there's not a whole lot I have to say about this song, really. Other than uh, I like it. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. Um, yeah, I guess well. if you're looking for a
0: male female duet that people don't do all the time,
1: sure. Yeah, why not? Um, okay, so now let's talk about the part of the show where I feel like is like the weirdest part of this whole show. Right.
0: I'm really I'm surprised that this is where you have a really strong reaction.
1: Uh, well, it's just I feel weird about it. And like, I think you'll kind of know what what I'm talking about when I say this, like, so right after I like your style, basically Barnum finds out that the museum burned down. He has to start from square one. And the first thing he does is he goes and he meets with Charles Schwab, Mm -hmm. whose stage name is Tom Thumb because he's only 25 inches tall. Mm -hmm. They say it a lot. It's not, it's not a secret. Yeah. Um, But then when he introduces him, he asks him, you know, if he wants to be a part of it. And he said he agrees to. And so the next song we get is a song called Bigger Isn't Better. That's the song that Tom Thumb gets to sing. And I find it weird just because um, they have a normal size actor playing this character, but they just put everyone else on stilts. Mm -hmm. I think that's weird. (laughs) And I don't like it Um, I have seen I mean there are actors that are little people that can Mm -hmm. sing and dance granted this maybe it feels like appropriation to cast someone like that in this role but also at the same time it feels weirder for me to have a normal sized or a averaged height individual playing Tom Thumb and I know it's just for this one song but it, it just feels weird to me like it doesn't feel like Icky, as far as you know, "quote unquote" icky, as far as like, I don't know. It's just I find it strange <laughs> that that is what happened.
0: Well, I mean, I think that's a product of the 1980s.
1: Oh man, yeah, probably. I mean, this did come out in what 1980, right?
0: Uh, I think this was released in 1980. I mean, the musical was 1980, like the Broadway musical is 1980, but this uh, this version was, was 1986. Right. Yeah. Um, I I think if you're gonna cast a uh, an average height person to play Tom Thumb. Just don't put anyone else on stage.
1: Yeah. I saw that.
0: I don't think there were any other people on stage when we did it. I don't think the stilts appeared in this scene at all. Anyway, did you hate the elephant?
1: Uh, I didn't hate the elephant. Um, I understood what they were going for. I would rather have that than try to force a real elephant on stage. I'll say that. Well, yeah. Um, just 'cause just just logistically trying to get a real elephant. No, of course. I wouldn't sure. use a real <laughs> elephant. Right. But um
0: the execution of that, I wasn't sure how you would think of that.
1: No, I thought that was fine. <laughs> I got giant from uh Into the Woods vibes from the elephant. Yes. <laughs> so
0: <laughs> Into the Woods was later though. Yeah, I know.
2: I
1: know that. So but yeah, but that's that's what I got from from that.
0: The only note I have about Tom Thumb, I mean, I feel like Joyce Heff and Tom Thumb only exist in this show because they are names that people who know Barnum recognize. Right.
1: I would agree with that.
0: Like, they don't really serve any purpose to the plot except like, oh, yeah, this thing also happened to Barnum. But Bigger Isn't Better does remind me, it kind of sounds a little bit like an Irving Berlin song.
1: Okay. Yeah, sure.
0: There's, there's something like, maybe it's just in the melody and the lyrics. It's just cute and sweet, and I can imagine Irving Berlin singing it.
1: <laughs> well, he was a little man, wasn't he?
0: <laughs> he? Yeah, he wasn't tall. He's my... I don't know if we've talked about this. We haven't talked about any Irving Berlin, but he's my Broadway crush.
1: Oh, I know that.
0: Well, you know that, but just so cute and sweet.
1: Well, I'll let you have that one.
0: Thank you. Okay, next on the list... Is Love Makes Such Fools of Us All. There she is. Yep.
1: The big uh the
0: Swedish Nightingale herself. Swedish,
1: yeah. Jenny, Jenny Lynn. Lynn. This is the Jenny Lynn song. Or the 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 pretty much only Janie Lynn song, because she sings again later, but it's just mm-hmm. the same song again, just a reprise of it. Yep. Um so I having seen this and the greatest showman, because it tells a very similar story, mm-hmm. I like this song much better than Never Enough. <laughs> because just to go on a little bit of a tangent, and like I said, I don't I don't want to talk too much about the Greatest Showman, but my biggest well, one of my biggest gripes about that show is that they say multiple times Jenny Lind is an opera singer. She's an opera singer. She sings opera. She's an opera singer. She says we'll an opera singer. We should bring her to America. Then they bring her to America and, and she, she sings, sings a pop, pop song. song. That bugs the ever living crap out of me. Me too. And <laughs> I mean, granted, like say. I mean, I don't hate that song, I just hate the fact that this is the song that she sings because it's not an opera song, but love makes its fools of us all is at least more accurate <laughs> to what it's, closer. An opera song, it's yeah. closer. It's a musical theater song, but it is closer to opera. I actually like the bit and think it's funny that when she shows up she doesn't speak English. <laughs> and yeah. he's like, "What?" <laughs> I thought that was very very funny. Um that seems a very Barnum thing to do, to hire this. Like, oh, yep, I'm just going to throw money at this. She's going to make me, t- we're both going to be like millionaires. Is gonna be, it's going to be great. She's going to make me a ton of money. Just bring her here. Having never heard her sing, doesn't know anything about her other than the fact that she can sing, brings her to America, and she can't speak English. And I think that's hilarious. <laughs> it's literally putting your carts before the horse, right? It's like one of those things.
0: I'm glad that you're here to like balance me out sometimes because I watched like I remember it, it being a thing that got a lot of laughs and watching the pro shoot and seeing mm-hmm. all like hearing everyone laughing hysterically. And it's was like, I don't think this is that funny. Like, it's not not funny. <laughs> but like, why are we laughing right. so hard? Obviously, she's Swedish. Like,
1: right. Yeah.
0: What did you expect?
1: Right. Yeah.
0: She probably can speak Italian or German.
1: Yeah. But he doesn't he doesn't but he doesn't
0: yeah <laughs> he just hams it up so much and makes all these faces about like oh yeah she can't she can't understand me it's like okay okay <laughs> is it really that funny
1: no I think he does a great I, I think so I think he makes it funnier I think Michael Crawford's, Michael Crawford's performance does make it funnier because mm. I think the bit in and of itself is like it's pretty funny but I think he makes it more more funny yeah I mean he's a good actor he's great in this i think um i think i think michael, michael crawford does a great job in this show just because this is a hard show to do mm. <laughs> and you're silent so that tells me you don't agree
0: no i have thoughts later okay great. i'm gonna save that thought
1: all right uh but anyway
0: yeah love makes such fools of us all is the same melody it's used in sweet charity uh i couldn't tell you we offhand but that's what that long tangent I went on about earlier was. <laughs> right, yeah, it's yeah. That same melody. Yeah, and then Jenny Lind is a big success and uh as she says, I think in Act 2, she says I'm a soprano, we flirt. Mhm. Um she wants Barnum to take her to some reception.
1: Yeah, a reception for after the concert, the first oh, concert. Oh, and that
0: she yeah, performs. and then uh Charity's like, Carriage's waiting, let's go home." Right. And Barnum doesn't go home with charity
1: no he does not um well here the thing about that so here's why I thought about that too it's like Jenny Lynn says hey come like she's like she says I want to go to this reception he goes okay yeah you can pick take whoever you want to take mm-hmm. and then she says I want to bring you and he's like super it doesn't I don't get the impression that he's like I'm uncomfortable with this Is <laughs> like his first kind of impression mm-hmm. or maybe it's his like guilt I guess thinking like oh he wants to but he shouldn't because he's married to charity I don't know which one it is I feel yeah. like it's more the former where he just it un- makes him uncomfortable
0: I, I think this is another problem with the book like there's a couple of references like when he before he even signs her contract uh, whoever he's talking to says that she's she wins the hearts of men mm-hmm. like she's just such a beautiful singer that men drop at her feet uh, is the implication there and then we have like the funny little exchange where he's trying to teach her some English phrases. Right. Yeah. I don't get any romantic tension from that. Right. Like it's just like a funny bit. Mm-mm. And then yeah. he and Charity are sitting in the box and watching her sing. And we're supposed to believe that he's fallen in love with her suddenly. Or, or at least has developed some kind of feelings for her. I don't I don't think there's enough evidence there.
1: I think I would agree. I don't. I don't. Like, it's the same kind of thing that happens in The Greatest Showman too, right? Where it gives you, it gives the implicate, or the alludes to that he hears her sing and then immediately falls in love with her. And I don't know if that's, I don't know. I don't know if that's believable, (laughs) honestly.
0: Well, Um, hopefully by then he's already heard her sing, right? The performance probably wouldn't be the first time he would hear her sing. But also, like, why is he not going to that reception?
1: Oh, I honestly, I don't think so. <laughs>
0: he should already be going. Like, he and Charity should be going already. Should be
1: going, right, yeah.
0: Right, and so even even if Charity didn't want to go, I don't think it would be weird for him to go since he's the one who holds her contract to perform. Right, like, people, right. I would think that people would want to talk to him as much as they would want to talk to her. Maybe especially in that time right but
1: but maybe during the time it's like one of those things where it's like oh he's here not with his wife and that's a big deal maybe
0: well yeah he could just be there not with his wife like why mm, I, I don't know. know and then and then that the way they play that moment when Charity's like when he says he's gonna stay mm-hmm. he like they're clearly playing him as guilty and Charity's just like okay do whatever you have to do
1: yeah <laughs> Well, he's playing—he's playing guilty, but she's kind of more like oblivious to that. I guess but she's is stupid.
0: <laughs> now she's suddenly dumb. Like,
1: I don't necessarily think that she's dumb. I think it's one of those things where, like, he feels guilty, but she trusts him maybe because, like, he—he he does lie to her. He straight up says, "Oh, I'm going to stay here and work on the receipts instead of saying, oh, 'Oh, I'm going to go to the reception with Ginny.'" Right. So she believes him, and she's like, "Okay, well, I'll see you later." As and he then,
0: says earlier, a humbug has never worked on her.
1: Right. But I think, but this time it does, and it's like the, now he feels really build, really bad about it. It's kind of what I, this mm. the, what I how I got it. But
0: now if he felt that bad about it, he would have followed her out the door and gone
1: home. I suppose that's I don't know.
0: I don't know. I think I think this that like th- there's a plot hole. There's a script problem there. Where it's like Charity's mm-hmm. not dumb, and she wouldn't suddenly just be like, "Oh yeah, go f- the opera singer, have fun."
1: Yeah, <laughs> but the thing is, like that doesn't happen. It, it's it's kind of. Well, I don't it think that. It, okay, let me clarify. I don't think that happens. I don't think it does.
0: I remember, so I remember it being a big thing at my college. Mm -hmm. Um, I know I've mentioned this before, but it was a a Christian university in the South. And uh, marriage and fidelity and all that stuff were like hot topics. And anytime a show had any kind of question, questionable morals, people were brought in to talk about it, to make sure Mm -hmm. that we were handling things appropriately because we were adults. Right. Anyway, so this is kind of jumping ahead a little bit, but we staged out there. We had a tightrope and we had a little parapet on either side. They put Charity in one and they put Jenny Lind in the other, and he stopped halfway and, like, made a choice. Mm -hmm. And it it was very clear that he was choosing Jenny Lind.
1: Right. Well, it's honestly kind of funny that you mentioned that. Because I was going to actually wait wait to talk about this at the end. But um, I was familiar with Barnum before we started talking about it. Because uh, when I took a directing course in college. And the opening number of Barnum is something that we talked about. As far as like staging and direction. That kind of thing. Interesting. Because of like certain things that are made. And like and some of the choreography things like that. It's like we sh- So he showed us that. And the. The teacher that I had the professor that I had was very uh, very pro Barnum like this show like he really likes the show but he also said we'll never do it it's too hard (laughs) he did say that Um, but we also watched out there so we watched Mm -hmm. the opening number and we watched out there and uh, we watched the whole thing and then he said like because they're talking about directorial choices Uh and what he said was if I were directing the show I would have had Jenny on one side and Charity on the other. Yeah. And what he would have made her him do is he walks about halfway, stops, turns and looks at Charity and then yep. goes to Jenny.
0: That is exactly what happened.
1: Yeah. And so like, it's funny to me that he, that you're saying that this is what your school did. And my, my directing teacher was like, this is what I would do. And they're very much not the same person. Oh.
0: Dr. Mack. I love you, Dr. <laughs> Mac. Sorry. I said that you like to spend a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <That's> not, there's <laughs> nothing wrong with that. It's just, you know...
0: High quality shows.
1: <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Uh, but that it's interesting. Like, I think that is a very clear choice that he's making, right? Is to go on tour with Jenny. But I don't think... I don't think there's, like, a real romantic relationship between them. Even though she, in her reprise of the song in Act 2, says or in, implies that she wants him to stay with her and continue on this tour, but he chooses to go home. I right?
0: just... Does anyone really believe that, like, her being like, I want you to take me to the reception is not a, like, a blatant... Like, she's blatantly hitting on him.
1: No, she is. Like, and I'm we not know what her
0: intentions not. are, and when he chooses to go, that he's not also playing into that, like...
1: I don't know. See, I don't... I don't necessarily know if I believe that though. Like, I think he's like interested, I guess like he's attracted to her and it's kind of like the way that it's played. Obviously. Yes, that's the case, but I just have a hard time believing that he, he cheated on his wife with Jenny Lind. I just don't think that that's the case.
0: Oh, I totally do.
1: I don't, I don't know. I don't think so, but I mean, the implication is there and I understand it. Right. Mm. I mean, and to be fair in real life, that was not the case. (laughs) In real life, she opted out of her contract because he was. She realized how much money he was making off of her. Uh, (laughs) uh, But I think if you play it that way, it's kind of it. Like this romantic romanticized story between Barnum and Jenny Lind was added, right? For flair, whatever you want to say, for (laughs) just to romanticize that relationship, even though it was not a romantic one, it was a business partnership in real yeah. life, right? So, But I understand wanting to add that in there, right? It does make it a little more interesting, I guess, than just talking about, I don't know. I, I don't know why it's necessarily added, but I guess it makes it more entertaining.
0: I, the only thing I can think of is that it's just another reason for you to like Barnum. It's like, ooh, this pretty lady fell in love with Barnum. Isn't he so interesting and attractive? I don't know. Or they had this nice melody and they were like, ooh, wistful, unrequited love. <laughs>
1: Yeah, maybe. But, I mean, as you kind of mentioned, the next song right after that, Out There, he blatantly makes a choice to essentially follow the money instead of staying with his wife. Right. Right. Or just, I mean, and, like, physically staying with his wife. Like, they don't ever get divorced. They never, their marriage never ends, all that kind of stuff. Right. So it's just like that thing. It's like, well, he, he's choosing to go after the money, basically. And it's just something, you want to hear something, like a real-life fact that's kind of interesting? Sure. So when I was doing research... I found out about how much money she was making per show. Go on. So according to this really fantastic website I found called, uh, oh, it's all about P.T. Barnum called wikipedia.org. He offered her the chance to sing in the U.S. for about $1,000 a night in uh, like 1850, right? Mm-hmm. For 150 nights, $1,000 a night. Right.
0: Is that $1,000 and $1850?
1: And $1850. Oh, sh- <laughs> <laughs> so, that I think with inflation and everything, I think it's around like $35,000 a night or something like that.
2: Like oh, crap.
0: So she's Taylor Swift.
1: She's Taylor Swift. It's like yes. <laughs> it's a ridiculously large amount of money that he pays her to to sing for him like on tour. Uh-huh. Um
0: and how much did he make off of her?
1: It says here that Lind performed 93 concerts in the U.S. for Barnum, earning her about $350,000, while he earned at least $500,000, which is equivalent. Dang. So after 93 performances with Jenny Lind, he received in today's and 2022's money seventeen million five hundred and eighty-eight dollars Wow. So you can just imagine, like, she didn't earn as much as he did, but she still earned over a million, a, a couple million dollars from work from working for him. Uh, but from what I'm gathering, too, reading about their, their relationship, it was, like, she did not like him, <laughs> really, at all in real life. Like, uh, she says that, it says, uh, she became uncomfortable with Barnum's relentless marketing of the tour, and she invoked a contractual right to sever her ties with him, and they parted amicably. So, like, I in real life it wasn't a thing though in the musical you can think what you want sure that's how i, feel I think
0: about it. i think they just need to lean into it in the musical more and be like yeah this thing happened maybe yeah i don't know
1: anyway but i mean out there is the closing number of act 1 right
0: honestly it was it's really not memorable i remember it being a big moment in the show and i don't remember it hardly at all from the pro shoot except for being impressed that Michael Crawford actually learned how to walk a tightrope.
1: Right. Which is very impressive.
0: They said something like in all of the performances he had done, he only fell like five times.
1: Yeah. in like 900 something performances. He only yeah. fell five times. That's really impressive.
0: That is really impressive. And also in that uh, documentary, it was really interesting to watch and be like, Oh yeah. And here's how you would catch yourself. Mm-hmm. So like, even if you do fall, you don't ever touch the ground. So it doesn't count.
1: <laughs> yeah. Like, right. Dang. And, watching him to learn how to try to like do other things like like walk out sit down on the rope and then stand up again like that's really that's super hard hard to do yeah yeah but he learned how to do it he learned how to do so like kudos to michael crawford for doing like that that kind of dedication you know yeah um so act two opens with come follow the band
0: which is a number i feel like you probably hate because the band comes in through the audience
1: well you're not wrong (laughs) no i I didn't particularly care for the number, but only because it felt kind of disjointed like I just felt it it felt weird like musically it fits, but I don't really get the point of the song, I guess it's I guess that
0: it act two, get the audience back in their seats song
1: I suppose so, yeah, but what was funny is that so I watched the pro shoot with Michael Crawford, and then I watched the Tony performance of Barnum, and they the two songs they did were Come follow the band and there's a sucker born every minute um and and let's and come follow the band the cory like uh, the staging is exactly the same mm-hmm. where the a tuba comes in from the audience and then a trumpet comes in from the audience and then the rest of the band kind of comes in and then they sing this sing this song uh, i think it's fine i don't have anything like bad to say about it i just think that i don't know I can't really think of another show that where the musicians come in from the audience and then get on stage and perform. There's uh, that happens uh, quite a few times, I think. Well, and I worked on a production of once professionally and they did that. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, the, the actors would just sit in the audience and play sometimes. Um, and I think it happened. Oh, It doesn't happen in Hades Town, but it's kind of a similar kind of vibe, I think, where it's kind of the opening of, uh, the opening of Hades Town versus the comparison to like the op- act two opener of this—they have like a similar vibe, but they're not the same.
0: Yeah, I get what you're saying.
1: Yeah, you get what I'm saying. Um, but I mean, I think I thought it was a, a fine opening number for a-, a-, a fine act two opener, but I don't—I don't find it particularly memorable.
0: I agree. I don't. It doesn't really serve much purpose in the show. I think it was probably written and then it was like, oh yeah, this would fit like what else is in a circus oh yeah a band right let's write the song and then you're like how do we make this fit oh yeah a patriotic performance for jenny lynn's fifth concert 50th concert a a band yay yay (laughs) the one thing that kind of struck me is that the choreography in this number reminds me a lot of michael bennett's choreography for lil abner really yeah, and someday we'll talk about that. But okay. <laughs> keep, Like, remember it so that when we talk about it, you can be like, oh, yeah, that does, it looks really the same. I guarantee and
1: you that I will not remember that. <laughs>
0: okay, well, I'll remember it now. I'll put a little pin in my brain. Um, but I do remember Come Follow the Band being us. If I'm remembering correctly, this was a song that we used as promo stuff for Barnum. And I think maybe it's just because it's a big group number. Mm-hmm and it doesn't spoil anything.
1: I think that's probably why. Yeah. That makes it would make sense to do that.
0: And it's it's fun to watch Michael Crawford in a clown costume. <laughs> sure. For once
1: like, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I do think it's fun that if you don't know that that's PT Barnum, it kind of has something else about it like uh like I was thinking about if I was going to direct the show and trust me, I don't. But <laughs> <laughs> if I were, I think it would be more fun to try to hide him even more to where like oh who's this who's this other person that's come out and is doing this thing and then when he changes like oh it's pt barnum like it's more of a surprise and less of like a oh this is the thing right
0: yeah i think your choices are either to like if you're going to put him in that role where he's what is that called where you're wearing all the drum like percussion instruments
1: one man band
0: is there another name for it though
1: uh i don't not that i'm aware of okay well could be. Hey, if you're a music person and you have a yeah. different different term for that, let us know.
0: <laughs> Is there another thing for that? Um I think your choices really are to make the ringmaster do that. Yeah. But if you're gonna if you're gonna reveal Barnum, like reveal him as Barnum part way through, then I don't know. Either way, like that's another opportunity to feature your ringmaster, I think.
1: I think so too, yeah. I would agree with that. Or maybe a different member of the ensemble or whatever, and just have Barnum just kind of come in and do whatever instead of like having him do that part too. But
0: I think in a normal situation, you would be like, let's feature all the ensemble members as many times as we can. But I don't think Mm -hmm. this show is like ensemble member number three. It's your turn to shine. Like, no, we don't, we don't care about ensemble member three.
1: We care about Barnum.
0: Do your backflip upstage. Bring back Barnum.
1: Yeah. I kind of, I would probably agree with that. But again, don't do it. You can't do this show unless you have a Barnum. Yeah. Because he's gonna do so much. Got to do too much stuff.
0: Um, and then it's not listed in this song list that I'm looking at. But then Jenny Lind is like, "Hey, you should stop writing letters to your wife." And Barnum is like, "Hey, you should stop doing trembly smiles to gentlemen who think you're attractive." And then Barnum goes home, and Charity's like, "Great, we're doing it my way now." Yeah. And then black and white happens. Yeah,
1: that's pretty much what happens. Yeah, like basically Jenny Lynn just comes on to him stronger. Then he goes, "I'm going home." But like it's in, it's uh, in the dialogue before they she he talks to her that he's made that decision already. He's like, "I'm tired. I want to go home." <laughs> Essentially is what right. it is. Right.
0: But I think the dialogue leans into that idea that like maybe they're having an affair this whole time.
1: I don't know about that.
0: <laughs> I think it leans in, like, there's obviously, they're leaning into something, and for her to be like, stop writing letters to your wife. It's like, mm, girl, you know, you're the side chick. You can't stop the letter writing to the wife. That's too much. Yeah. And that, like, that's the impression that I get is that she's like, excuse me, you're here with me. Stop paying attention to the person you're legally obligated to. <laughs> and then he's like, no. He's like, no. I'm that's when home. he's like, no, I'm going to go home yeah can't tell me not to write letters to my wife
1: i love my wife i'm going home it's essentially what i what i
0: right yeah but also like i think it's more of an outrage thing to be like hey you're supposed to be okay with being the second choice (laughs) (laughs) Uh, maybe i don't know i'm doing you on the side and you know
1: it (laughs) (laughs) i mean i would hope that she would know that to be fair
0: (laughs) does jenny lynn just not know he's married (laughs) It's like, why are you writing letters to other girls? Like, <laughs> That's my wife. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, I don't know. I hope not. Ugh, man. But anyway.
0: So then Jenny Lynn leaves, and we never hear from her again because she's pointless.
1: Yeah, she kind of shows up. Like, I get that it's she's an important part of Barnum's life in... The context of his life, but yeah, she shows up at the end of Act One and then leaves at the beginning of Act Two, and then we don't see her again for the it's, rest yeah, of the show. Yeah, we just need
0: we need some kind of like cliffhanger for the end of Act One, and rather than make the museum burn down at the end of Act One or something else, let's see if Barnum's having an affair.
1: Yeah, well, they're and it says that they mentioned too that they're on tour for about six months before he leaves.
0: Yeah, that's where I am like. Mm.
1: That's a long time, time, too. <laughs> you're not having
0: an affair? Sure, you're not, Barnum. Yeah, I
1: don't know. I think that the musically heavily, heavily implies that. but
0: Maybe not in real life, but in the context of the musical. Yeah. It's there. Um, what do you think of Black and White?
1: I think it's fine. I get, like, this is the part where um, the implication here in this song, I feel like, is, okay, Charity, I'm going to do it your way now. I'll go and I'll work at the clock factory and I'll settle down and I'll stop kind of being this, you know, having this frivolous lifestyle. I'll settle down and do what you want me to do. It's kind of what I feel like the implication of that, of that is, because, you know, he starts to try, he builds his own town and like kind of does some other things, which apparently also catastrophically fails (laughs) him trying to build Barnumville or whatever it is that he calls it. Um, But yeah, I mean, I mean, obviously with the staging and, and things that happen in the song, It's, he's, you know, he's not wearing his bright, his bright costuming anymore. He's wearing a gray suit. And he goes and it shows him, he's kind of working at the clock factory and charity says uh, something along the lines of like, oh, he worked his way up there very quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, And just kind of like the implication of all that. And it's, it's, uh, it's played for laughs because you kind of see how uncomfortable Barnum is in this whole this whole situation like he doesn't like being this way but he's doing it for charity because that's what she's this is what she's always wanted him to do and so like i i don't necessarily get the impression that he's unhappy i guess i don't know if I necessarily if i feel it that way but um it's like he's it's not that he's unhappy but he's uncomfortable i guess is kind of where how i feel about barnum is at this point in the song like 'cause he's with his wife and he loves his wife, so like he's there and like, doing this for her, but he just doesn't like doing it, <laughs> I guess. Mm. Um, but then yeah, this is the song too where it kind of glosses over his political career, right? Yeah. Where he like he tries he works at the clock factory and then he tries to build his own town, but that fails. And then now he runs for mayor and he becomes mayor of Bridgeport, Connecticut. <laughs> right? That's what happens in the song, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think the song itself is fine. You know, it's just the you know the whole story of like, okay, well, now he's, his life of bright, iridescent colors is now kind of closed off for the time being. And then this is where he's at. What are your thoughts?
0: <laughs> oh, well, this song, so this song is uh, one of the ones that I remember better than the rest of the show because I had to know it because I understudied the blues singer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got to sing it a grand total of one time in rehearsal, Ooh. Uh, when the main performer wasn't feeling well. <laughs> but it is insanely low. Oh, is it? It's so like it's it's tenor range. Wow. Um, yeah, this is another one. I was like, why is it written so low? Poor Charity <laughs> has to sing really low and then really high and then really low, and it's like, bec- why? Why is everything written in a weird key? Just write it. Just change the key. I
1: can't tell you that.
0: <laughs> Why was the original key? It's, it is low. It's got an, it's an E3, I think. I remember, okay. I remember being in auditions for it and I was the only one who sang that bottom note. <laughs> Cause it's low. Uh, and it, yeah, it's just, I, I don't know if the song really works. I'm trying to justify it in my head. If we're doing things black and white, And like square and practical and logically the way Charity wants to. Why is it a jazz number?
1: It's not as upbeat as the other songs, but I get what you're saying.
0: Like, I guess when Charity sings, it's square. But as soon as the blues singer comes back out, it's swung again. And I I don't know if it works. Like the musical style isn't always supporting what's happening on stage. Mm, Okay. But yeah, anyway, it's a fast way to be like, oh yeah, Barnum did all this boring stuff too. (laughs)
1: <laughs> right, right. Yeah, that's kind of what it is. Like I says, it kind of glosses over all this stuff. I you know it. It gives me vibes from like, uh, My Fair Lady. There's this. There's the scene where, um, Henry Higgins takes Eliza Doolittle to the to like the horse race, the as uh-huh. like the Ascot, Gozette or whatever it's called. Um, I believe it's called uh, Ascot Gavote or whatever it's called. Yeah, you know whatever it. I've worked on My Fair Lady professionally as well and when they did it, uh, everyone in the ensemble was wearing black and white.
0: Yeah, I think that's pretty standard.
1: So that's what it reminds me the most of is like is that part. But this mm-hmm. you're right. It is it is jazzier. I just think that the, the tempo is just different. It has a different vibe than the rest of the show, but they could have done more to make it more distinguishable from the rest. But I think if you make it too different, it feels out of place. Cuz like you're it's still it's still Barnum, right? It's still this yeah. show. But if you change too much of it, it doesn't feel like it fits.
0: Right. Sorry, I'm laughing because I'm currently editing the Joseph episode where you say that you love how there's so many genre changes. <laughs> well,
1: that's intentional. <laughs> that's this intentional. is too. I, but yeah, but like the genre is not changing. It's Pick different.
0: side wheeler.
1: <laughs> I do what I want. <laughs>
0: Um. Okay, great. And then, spoilers, Charity <laughs> dies.
1: Yeah, that we was...
0: S- we get a sad version I of The Colors of My Life. I did
1: not expect that to happen. <laughs> did oh, did e- it make you cry? No, it didn't make me cry.
0: I don't think it really read very well. This is another one where it's like, mm, Dr. Mac was a good director. Mm-hmm. So Charity had to learn to juggle for that scene. Right. And we brought on like six clowns who were all juggling. And she was juggling with them. And then she drops her balls when she dies. It drops your balls, maybe it's not the best way to say it, but like
1: <laughs> she stopped juggling. she stopped
0: she died. juggling when she died.
1: which is more it that makes more sense to me than what we got in the pro shoot where she th- tosses them to him and he just catches them, yeah, I thought that was like it was, and then she just turns and walks off, and then she's gone, right right there are, I think there's there's gotta be a better way to stage that
0: well, and I think it was clear what was happening to her, but it just it didn't work for me,
1: yeah. I'm even thinking of maybe something like where, you like this is just in, in my own head, or if, like if she's having to juggle for that, right? And uh, instead of tossing them to him, she just kind of throws one, and then like somebody else catches it. Like she throws it further, so it goes off, and then she mm-hmm. throws the other one, then throws the third one. She just throws them like off stage versus like to him, so that she just kind of disappears. Yeah, I don't know, but there's gotta, yeah, there's got to be a better. way. There's got to be a better way to stage it because, like, I understood in the context of the show what was happening. I just didn't think that was going to happen as far oh. as like the story. I didn't like I didn't realize that she died so much sooner than he did. Mm. Um so that just was something that I just wasn't expecting. I didn't think it was necessarily like a bad thing, right? Obviously it's part yeah. of the story, so it is what it is. Um but then you know, i thinking about too what uh Marcus Brigstock said, you know, when talking about playing Barnum Hall, she like tethers him to kind of reality. I feel like it's not really implied this much, but either one of two things needs to happen to Bartum at this point in the show when she dies, either he gives up completely or he goes crazy. <laughs> and like, I don't know, like which one of those is like more believable or relatable. Um, but I feel like it leans more toward the former, where it's like he just kind of stops doing things.
0: As you're saying this, I'm having thoughts about maybe this is another opportunity to flip some songs Mm -hmm. because I think they have to work really hard to join the circus to get Barnum to say yes. Mm -hmm. But he's just sung the Prince of Humbug.
1: Right. Yeah. Where
0: he's like, I'm still a showman who will, you know, captivate audiences. But like, I'm still me, even though charity's Mm -hmm. gone. So I wonder if the Prince of Humbug could come before the colors of my life reprise and then let him, be sad and give up on everything and Mm -hmm. then have join the circus
1: or maybe you can leave it, but you Prince of Humbug needs to be more desperate in a way where he's like trying to tell, like he's talking to himself about this. Mm -hmm. He's trying to make himself like try to spin it in a way to where like, so that he doesn't go into depression. Like as I remember watching, thinking I remember watching Michael Crawford's performance and thinking, I feel like he should be more sad during this part because like his wife literally just died i should i felt like he should have been more like like he's losing his mind almost to an extent Mm -hmm. if that makes sense that's kind of how i felt like that it should have been and that's not you know not saying does it happen right after
0: she dies though or is there an implication that time has gone by because isn't that right after there's a little bit after she dies and then they're like we're not going to give you the nomination for for senate right is it senate or presidency
1: For Senate,
0: over Senate, he does
1: not. He does everything. He never goes to the president.
0: They were talking about presidency at one point.
1: Um, yeah, he mentions who the president is at the time as well. But no, yeah, he's he's going because his wife Charity says your next step is the Senate, and she tries to like push him to go do that. Right, and he commits to doing that because that's what she wanted him to do. So he commits to do that, and then he's getting ready. He's gearing up for it, even though the fact that he's kind of lost without her he's gearing up for that and then they come and tell him oh by the way we're going to go somewhere else we're yeah, not Yeah, we're going have... somewhere
0: else and then he sings Prince of Humbug.
1: Yeah. That's why I think that song needs to be more like desperate and more like frustrated than it needs to be like what it is and well for how it's how I've heard it.
0: I yeah, I think it works for like the setup that's there but yeah, I agree it's a little like up and down emotionally mm-hmm. and I think it could you could smooth out like not have so many highs and lows back to back and just have like a bigger high and a bigger low.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, the way that I'm thinking of it in my head is like, I probably, you probably haven't seen it because you're not a movie person. Uh, but there's a movie, it's called um, Yesterday. Do you know this movie?
0: Is that the Beatles movie? It's the Beatles movie. Okay. I right. maybe, maybe that was one I saw some of and fell asleep, but I'm aware okay, of that movie. Sure.
1: Okay. So there's a part where he sings you know the 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 whole story behind that is like he wakes up in a world where the beatles don't exist and he just right he sings all their songs and gets super famous um but he sings the song help Uh uh-huh like on a rooftop to like a a group a big group of people and as he's singing the song he kind of like devolves into like he's just screaming help me (laughs) at the end of the song okay and i think that's kind of what this song needs to do it needs to like he starts off singing kind of like, ah, oh, you know, well, I'm da-da-da. And he's like, well, this is, this is who I am and what I do. And then he just kind of devolves. And it kind of like comes, almost comes crumbling down. To and that's, that's how I think tr- should yeah, be played. Yeah, I think that
0: would work because there are a lot of nonsense words in this. I don't know if you watched uh, any Jim Dale interviews.
1: I did not, no.
0: Um, apparently it's a thing where only British actors can play Barnum. Um, and Jim Dale did win the Tony Award this role but he said it's ridiculous like there's so much to do and then also i have to sing these songs that have a ton of words and there's no way for me to tie one thought to the next like like he's got all kinds of crazy nonsense words and then in the like writing and preview process before the show opens they'd be like oh yeah by the way we changed this like poppycock to a f- nut or whatever the words are
2: mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you have to well, keep them all straight
1: <laughs> so like here, cause the here's the first like couple stanzas of this song right okay it goes the prince of humbug balderdash fiddle faddle drivel posh twiddle twaddle blather bosh bilge and dodge and double dutch and flim flam i am the king of hogwash tommy rot jibber jabber blabber bluff hocus pocus gabble guff scam and sham and just a touch of white lie am i yeah those are the two stands like that's a lot of nonsense words that's yeah. hard
0: <laughs> right especially when you also have to have the museum song in your head yeah And Sucker Born Every Minute. Yeah. (laughs) Like.
1: (laughs) I just, like, I just think in my head, like, if he starts off singing this kind of song, kind of, like, upbeat and kind of like, like, oh, this is who I am. And then by the end, it starts, like, it kind of hits him halfway through. Like, in a world of sting and shock, this moment we spend down a road of ridge and rot toward Lord knows what end. Through a night as dark as space and as cold as the sea, someone's got to make it right. Shoot a rocket, shine a light. Tell you who the someone's going to be. I think that's when it starts to need to start kind of devolving. And then he basically at the end of the song, he's just shouting. The prince of humbug, tongue in cheek, shilly, shally, pull the wool, blarney, bogus, cock and bull, hoax and prank and hanky pank and some skullduggery. I am and damn, I always, I'll always be. I think that's the part where it needs to start kind of falling apart. But that maybe that's just a personal thing.
0: I mean, I think it would be harder to play it that way, than maybe to like them to play the beginning as very, like scatterbrained and searching, and then have the ending have him pull himself together.
1: Sure, maybe
0: I'm open to either.
1: Yeah. Anyway, I just think the song needs needs more. It needs more of a. As weird as it kind of feels to say, this song needs more of a story or implication than what it currently has, in my opinion.
0: Okay. Fair enough.
1: But I do like the song. I do like the song. It's just one of those, you know, one of those things.
0: So then Bailey comes out, the man we've all been waiting for, Bailey as in Barnum and Bailey, Yep. uh, and the entire ensemble of circus performers, and they sing four verses to Barnum about you should join the circus, Mm -hmm. like you wanted to when you were a kid, which has never been true for me. I don't know. Did you ever want to join the (laughs) circus?
1: Uh I, well I'll say this. I know you how you mentioned like you hate you'd like hated the circus. Like the circus. You don't like the circus? I've always liked I've always enjoyed the circus and like going like I went a lot as a kid um when it was still around unfortunately. Barnum and Bailey's is no longer around anymore. Uh but uh I mean I used to go all the time and I always thought it looked really fun, but I never really wanted to like join the circus if that makes sense. Like I like I wanted to entertain like, uh-huh. I remember I remember wanting to be an actor, but I never wanted to join the circus specifically.
0: Yeah. I mean, I just I think if I were in Barnum's shoes and like my career was falling apart and my wife died and I didn't know who I was anymore. A manic group of circus performers and leotards singing join the <laughs> circus, join the circus. Like that wouldn't make me want to join.
1: No, maybe not. <laughs> no, I. but
0: it worked for him. And I guess that's the point is that it works for most people. Sure. I, I do remember like the reviews of my college production were very much like we wanted to like people afterwards would be like it was so fun. And like we wanted to join the circus at mm-hmm. the end of that number. And it's like, well, that's nice for you. Yeah. I mean,
1: <laughs> and I think that's what that song should do. It should make you want to. It should
0: Yeah. This should it be should. like the biggest spectacle, most fun, like mm-hmm. audience entertainment value.
1: Right. But this is what I will say. If you're going to end the show with this song, that should be it.
0: Oh, you didn't like the tag at the end?
1: I don't. I don't I don't oh. like the tag at the end. I don't. Because it feels, it felt more out of place <laughs> than even like anything. Before. But I'm like, you know, it's one of those things where it's like if he, you know, ends up in a more positive place before that song starts, that's fine. But, you know, he still doesn't really want to do it because that's kind of the implication of the song. He doesn't, at, at first, he doesn't want to do that and then at the end he's like you know that's my whole that's what my life has been like you know hmm. and then it kind of is over honestly the more i thought about it the more i'm like is this just a consistent thing with musicals where they just fizzle at the end is that just how it is for most <laughs> musicals because 3 in a row this is what's happened with little mermaid with uh baker street and with this they all just kind of like end and so <laughs> i would rather just cut the thing at the end where he sings um, the finale, and then just make Join the Circus the end of the show.
0: I actually disagree.
1: Tell me more.
0: <laughs> I like that little beat. I think the, I think it solidifies the fact that Barnum is telling his own story on his own terms. Mm-hmm. I think if you play it more as Barnum is now an old man telling you this story and like being wistful and reminiscent about his life, mm-hmm. I think it, reads better maybe i don't know that, that's one of the few moments where I'm like oh he's being genuine with us sure <laughs> instead of trying to pull the wool over our eyes
1: yeah and and maybe that's true i just like i just i it felt jarring to switch to that because like join the circus is like this big flashy number and then the ringmaster makes an announcement oh here's pt barnum alone Da and there's no music there's no fanfare he just walks down center and sings this part of the song you know, and maybe it's just maybe it's not long enough because I, I feel like there's just something to it where like you're supposed to I mean, I think it's supposed to ev- evoke some some emotion. I didn't really feel anything. Honestly, when I watched it, I just was like, is it was what is the what is it this trying to say? Right. Like as I'm sitting here and I'm listening to him sing the song, he basically reiterates. Right. And sings um, a sucker's sucker born born. Every, there's every a sucker born every minute. Right. He sings that part again. And I don't remember exactly what part of the song that he sings. I think it's just the chorus, more or less. I think so. Um, But it's like a slow, very little to no instrumentation behind it. He just kind of sings it. Implicating that like, oh, he's he's the one that's the sucker, right? But if that's the case, then why?
2: I
0: don't think that it's saying he's the sucker. I think it's more like nostalgic. Maybe. For a look at this great life that I had.
1: Maybe. I don't know. I just, I didn't, I didn't love it.
0: That beat kind of reminds me of, and you're a theater person, so I'm assuming you get this feeling too, but like after a performance is over and you have to come down off that adrenaline high, Mm -hmm. that's what this reminds me of.
1: Yeah, sure. Yeah, I could see that.
0: Like after all the theater kids have finally left Denny's at two o'clock in the morning and (laughs) you have to drive home alone. Yeah, and then be be around people who aren't shining bright lights in your face and clapping for you. you mm-hmm. have to be like, "Wow, I did a really cool thing."
1: But yeah, I get. I mean, I I understand that. I just I don't know. I felt like the show was trying really hard to play on your emotions, at least in the second act, but it didn't. There have been shows that have been more impactful for me emotionally than this one was.
0: Sure, that's fair. I'll just say that. That's fair. Um. I have I have one big question for you, which we've okay. kind of touched on already, but okay. uh, as we're wrapping up here, would you ever produce this show? Wh- like, what's the situation that you would need to re- produce the show?
1: What's the situation I would need to be in to produce this show?
0: Yeah, to say, like, this is a good show and we should do it. And, huh. like, it doesn't have to be an educational theater lens, but I'm going to... Spoilers, I'm going to think of it that way. So
1: Okay. You know... Uh, I'll think about it in the same way so that we can talk about it okay. on, the same, on the same page here, more or less.
0: I had this thought this morning, so go ahead.
1: Okay. I, well, like we've said a few times before, if we don't have a Barnum, we can't do this show. Right. So we would need to have a a kid that is willing to put forth and do anything that we ask them to do, is willing to put in the work, to to be this, is charismatic, Is has an air of likability... Not only amongst the public, but amongst their peers, they need to be a very well liked person and they they need to be able to to sing and dance <laughs> right This is like this is his show, so if you don't have a Barnum, you can't do it right now um as far as everyone else is concerned, this is such a heavy ensemble show as well in in the sense that they are doing work they're they're doing work. <laughs> so I mean the other kind of like more minor care not not necessarily minor characters but like charity and Jenny Lind and the ringmaster like you can fill them in but the ringmaster is doing a lot of work too so you need to have someone who maybe it maybe not quite as charismatic as Barnum is but who can do everything he can do right mm-hmm. is what the ringmaster needs to be able to do and then you I would not want to produce the show if we could not do the acrobatics and things like that, that this show feels like it needs to have. Right. So in order to do that, that's what I think we would need. We would need a bunch of kids who not only are capable of doing it, but are willing to learn to go step out of their comfort zone and do this type of thing, right. To learn how to do these things. And if we had the ability to bring someone in to teach this stuff as well, because like, As a technical director, I obviously want to do everything safely. I would would not want to put kids in harm's way ever for any reason, period, right? So there are some tricks you can do that you can get away with pretty easily, some that you can't really. I would probably want to do what your school did, and uh, you can try to teach the kids how to walk on a tightrope, but I would want to put a harness on them to make them be able to, like, High the, to make them like look like they're on a tightrope, but to kind of hold them up in the air and in case they do step off. They can kind of like not hurt themselves, right? Mm-hmm. Because that requires months and months of training that we probably would not have, right? right? Uh, so there's that. Um, that's really kind of it. It's like the circum like the circumstances that we would need. Everything would have to kind of line up perfectly to be able to even consider this show. And I. I don't know if that would ever happen.
0: <laughs> I don't know that it would ever happen either. I feel like our sister school could have done that this past year because I think Barnum is a good substitute for the music man.
1: You think so, huh?
0: I think if you have a leading man who would be who has the charisma of Harold Hill mm-hmm. but would be underutilized as Harold Hill because they are a strong singer, mm-hmm. which theirs was... Yeah, Like a strong physical performer who can also sing. Mm-hmm. Like maybe Barnum's a better choice. Especially you know, if you disagree. don't have singers. If if you don't have strong singers. Because the Music Man has requirements like the Barbershop Quartet. Mm-hmm. Which is always going to be a... I mean, uh, at the high school level, the Music Man is a relatively popular show. But that's really hard to do for high school performers.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: You eliminate that need. Uh, I think... Your the Soprano who would have been Marion is Jenny Lind.
1: Right, yeah.
0: Um, you could probably find someone reasonable to play Charity. Maybe your uh, Eulalie McKechnie Shin is Charity. Sure. And then your Marcellus is your ringmaster.
1: Yeah, sure. I could see all that. Yeah, Maybe. for sure. But, like, the only thing that th- this show is, like, demand spectacle. And if you can't deliver don't do it
0: right Yeah, i think it's a situation where you have this incredible leading man in a, an ensemble of decent singers who also happen to have great physicality and want right. to learn circus tricks or like you can con your gymnastics team or your dance team into being in your show
1: yeah yeah
0: like i mean we have a good relationship with our school's dance coach
2: mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> we could con some kids i'm trying real Maybe. hard to get some kids to be in the show yeah it's uh, some of them have been my students.
1: If you're listening, you know, who you, Get you here, know who you are. You know who you are. You know who you are. We we need you, please.
0: Boys on the dance team who were once in my theater class who won't audition but can sing. Yeesh. He's not listening. It's fine. <laughs> uh, if you're in a situation where you're looking at the Music Man and you're not quite sure, like maybe Barnum is a substitute. There's a really great musical theater mash video. It's like, don't do that show. Do this show. Like,
2: oh, yeah, yeah. Hmm,
0: don't do the Music Man. Do Barnum. That, that could be a good choice. Yeah. It could I also, be a good oh, choice. I forgot to mention this. I want to mention this too, really quickly. Uh, something th- that didn't happen in the pro, sh- it did happen, but uh, I really like the idea of the Ringmaster becoming Bailey. Yeah. At the end. And this did happen in the pro shoot, but the Ringmaster also played a couple of other characters that popped in and right, out. Right. Yeah. So it kind of detracted from that. But in our production, it was a happy accident, I think. We did have another person cast as Bailey and then he couldn't do the show, I think,
2: where mm-hmm. he
0: couldn't. I can't remember what happened, but he wasn't in that role anymore. And then so suddenly the ringmaster took over Bailey. And I thought it was so nice to be like, oh, it's been me the whole time.
1: Sure. Yeah. I, I love like that, that reveal. I like that.
0: And I wish they had made more of it. Yeah. OK. To be like, oh, yeah. This guy like helping Barnum tell his story the whole time and who can also do all the tricks is mm-hmm. Bailey. Barnum and Bailey. yay, The yeah. circus.
1: I think that it'd be more fun too. Like if you have someone who, um, I know, like, costuming wise, the ringmaster. I believe in the pro shoot had like a twirl, had like a twiddly cr- curly mustache, which is like fine. But uh, I looked at photographs or at least drawings of. Well, actually, there were photographs. I looked at photographs of P.T. Barnum and J.A. Bailey, and like, Bailey had like the mutton chop mustache combo. And if oh, you yeah? have, a, have a yeah, and if you have a ringmaster who is like say they're clean shaven or something like that, or if they have a twiddly little mustache, when they become Bailey to put that on them, I thought would be a fun thing to do. It looks less like who they th- that's who they are, but
0: yeah, that takes away from my fun idea. I think it does. I think, but <laughs> I you think know, you're, just keep your ringmaster in your what what did you call it a twiddly mustache with mutton chops?
2: Yeah,
1: <laughs> there you go. Yeah, sure. <laughs>
0: The actor who played the ringmaster slash Bailey was mm-hmm. very very well liked, like a charismatic performer, like just a nice person. Mm-hmm. And he had previously played, I, I think, he previously played Willard in Footloose. Okay. And um, I think he played Jimmy in The Early Modern Millie. Uh, and he also played um the priest in Doubt. Like he was that kind oh, of wow, like, wow. That's versatile. Like, he's very <laughs> like just very likable. Like, in, right, in yeah, to the extent that, like, you would buy him in all of those roles. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so, so when people come to, you know, like, it wasn't a huge school, but it was like if you were a person who was on stage a lot, especially if you were a boy who was on stage a lot, because we had fewer guys than girls, mm-hmm. and you were a fun performer to watch, people would be like, oh yeah, that's so and so.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure.
0: In that role, and so people especially liked him, especially because like he did, you know, they're like, oh, what's he gonna do next? And he comes out on it unicycle or he's suddenly walking the tightrope or he's on yeah. stilts or all the things.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, that's fun. Um, that. Yeah. That would be a fun part to do as well. Just to kind of fill in all that. Mm. Fill in all that space. But I
0: like that, uh, that option to be like, Oh yeah. The ringmaster has been Bailey this whole time and you didn't know. Yeah.
1: But <laughs> that, and that, if that's the case, then you should not have him play any other characters. It's just the right. ringmaster and Bailey. Right. right. Which
0: we didn't do, which I really right. liked. So find some right. other people.
1: Right. Okay, so that's Barnum.
0: That's Barnum. Um,
1: what would you give this show on a scale of one to ten?
0: This is maybe going to surprise you. Mm-hmm. I feel like this is a seven for me.
1: That is surprising to me. <laughs> Very much so. I'm yeah. not.
0: Oh, so thinking about this show as a piece of musical theater art. Mm-hmm. It, it's got a lot of really great qualities.
2: Yeah. The music I agree.
0: is good. The book is. I mean, the book has some flaws, but like music and lyrics are consistently good. Mm-hmm. Um, it allows you to showcase a charismatic performer. I mean, people obviously like it. It's held up over 40 years. Right. Yeah. Mostly. I mean, there's some, again, like the problems, I think, with romanticizing the less than great things that Barnum did. Sure. I don't know that that would hold up in today's theater world. Right. Yeah. As a new piece of media, but like other than that, like I'm not mad at it as far as musical theater <laughs> genre. I just, I hate the
1: circus. <laughs> <laughs> that just puts it down for you.
2: Cause you just, I just
0: like n- but I think it's a seven, like I, as a seven as an objectively as a piece of art, it's a seven. I just don't like the circus. Okay. Um, so like personally, I... it's like a two, but,
1: <laughs> but objectively <laughs> See, that's, that's what I, that's what yeah, I You wanted to me hear. to say it's a two. <laughs> no, I was expecting you to say something like that. Um, <laughs> So personally, honestly, I'm probably going to give it more like a five instead of a seven. Um, Okay, I understand where you're coming from with all of that, but as someone who I do like the circus and I think the spectacle of this show is what elevates it above a lot of other things. Mm -hmm. But as far as like um, thinking about it from the the perspective of like this doesn't is not this is not a one man show necessarily. But it's so reliant on that one character that if that person is gone or doesn't have what you need, this is a really hard show to be convincing. And so I think that kind of actually knocks it down for me because like you don't you can have a strong ensemble, but if your strong ensemble is not going to do anything, if your Barnum can't you know can't do it, um, and maybe that's kind of a weird thing to to say, but. Because it is so reliant on this one character. No,
0: I do agree with that. Like, I think the ensemble has really challenging tasks within the show. But if mm-hmm. your ensemble is mediocre and your Barnum is great, I don't think anyone would notice.
1: That's true.
2: This that's is true. one
0: of those shows that, that's like, this is why people don't think the ensemble's important <laughs> to pieces. Because they're... They're like, ooh, look, they're juggling or they're spinning plates or whatever they're doing, and and if no, they're but... not <laughs> talented, then you can scale back the difficulty of what they're doing, and then it's
1: boring. right. Yeah, sure, but like like I said, like your barn needs to be like super solid, yes. and everything relies so heavily on this one character. Feasibly, it's really difficult to do that unless you can have that one person that can that can literally carry everyone else. Um, but you you do need to have. An ensemble, an ensemble capable of the spectacle, because if you don't, it's really going to hurt you. And I think the music is fine. I do like the music. I think it's great. But there's a couple songs that the couple songs I don't like. I don't particularly care for the ending. So, like personally for me, it just whittles it down to about a five. Okay,
0: fair. Maybe
1: enough. A, a five, five and a half. <laughs> five, five and a half. Ooh, you're feeling generous. <laughs> Cause like it's, it's pretty middling for me as far as like music, like it's not Baker street, you know, it's, <laughs> it's pretty middling as far as like where, where it lands. Um, I mean, honest, like uh, not even objectively, Baker street is the worst musical we've covered so far.
0: We've covered <laughs> Joseph. What are you talking about?
1: I like Joseph. So you that You are work. trash. <laughs> and I'm proud of it. Thank you. I will uh. wear my trash proudly on my sleeve my multicolored sleeves (laughs) but anyway yeah so that's kind of where i'm at for this one
0: yeah it's it's a a five and then the half point is for michael crawford just for him
1: just for him just for michael
0: Crawford. i mean i think you watched it too but that interview with the the guy from the big apple circus who was like Mm -hmm. we've trained six different casts of barnum and michael crawford is by far the most dedicated person to this role Mm
1: -hmm. that says something
0: I think that that's part of why this show has had revivals in the UK is because Michael Crawford is just legendary. Sure. So I think people yeah. have that nostalgia for him.
1: That's fair. That's fair enough. So. Yeah.
0: Good for you, Michael Crawford.
1: I think it's one of those things where he like, he ha- he is like the definitive Barnum now, despite despite the fact that Jim Dale was the original.
0: And I actually, I prefer Jim Dell's singing voice. I'm not a fan of Michael Crawford as a singer. He's fine. I just don't sure. like the tone of his voice. Um, and Hans, I mean, someday we'll have to cover Phantom, but his work on Barnum, his why he was the Phantom of the Opera.
2: Really?
1: Okay. I did not know that. No.
0: Andrew Lloyd Webber, like, handpicked him. for fi- They were trying, it was, oh, I can't remember where I was reading this now. But they had already cast Sarah Brightman, and they cast a, um, he was a rock musician. I can't remember who it was. And it, his voice just wasn't working for the score. And Andrew Lloyd Webber was like, we need someone more melodic. Like, he was aware of Michael Crawford, but I think Michael Crawford wasn't really interested. And then uh, Sarah Brightman and Michael Crawford happened to have the same voice teacher. Oh, and wow. he, like, overheard a lesson. They are like, who's that guy? <laughs> That's her <our> phantom.
1: <laughs> well, there you go.
0: Yeah, so someday we'll get to that one.
1: Yeah, someday. We're going to talk about all the phantoms. Okay. Sounds terrible. Including the Goosebumps musical. (laughs) Okay, I'm done with that.
0: Anyway, what do you think, listeners? Do you like Barnum? Do you hate Barnum? Reach out to us on social media. At greatest show pod. Yeah. Hashtag Barnum never dies.
1: Hashtag Barnum never dies.
0: If you look up the hashtag Barnum never dies, it's mostly me.
1: Also, you know, here's the thing, too. I don't think we really have said this either. If you have ever been in a production of Barnum or you have thoughts about it, let send us pictures. Let us know. Like if you've yeah. been in any of these shows that we've talked about, I'm curious to see your production photos. If you have any, just send them our way.
0: If you were in the production of Barnum with me... I'm sorry for all the mean things I said, and also please don't share embarrassing pictures of me
1: from the show. Um, I will contradict that and say share all of the embarrassing oh, photos you have of Emily. They please. are on I Facebook. I will share,
0: dude. You haven't. You tell me you haven't creeped through my Barnum pictures on Facebook.
1: I haven't, but I'm going to now. You're going to now. And then I'm going to share them. I'm going to share them on the social media. No. Yeah. Oh
0: there's definitely a picture of me in the green room somewhere like trying to buckle like the helmet for <laughs> the band costume, like making a stupid <laughs> face.
1: <laughs> it's gonna be everything I can see. It's gonna be it's, music. It's gonna a- be it's gonna be that picture with the captain's like, Music man or Barnum, you tell me. <laughs> it's the
0: greatest show, man, is produced by Brantley Wheeler and Emily Chabon. Our theme song is by Patrick Duffy. All of his information will be listed in the episode description. You can find us all over social media at Greatest Show Pod. Tweet at Brantley. Tell him why he's wrong and has horrible taste in musicals. If you have suggestions for a musical we should cover in the future, please send us an email at thegreatestshowpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you in the next one.
1: I will say I have had a nice reprieve. I haven't had to watch the Mario movie in the last week. Oh. No. Typically, my son, my little son, he likes to watch it twice a day, minimum. Uh, There was a time it got watched three times in one day, and I was like, that's too many times. (laughs) Wow. I have definitely watched movies back to back before.
0: Like the same movie twice
1: in a row? Uh Uh-huh. I've done that before, though it has not always been my choice to do so. But there are times where I'm like, I mean, I've had definitely had marathons or I've sat there and just watched like an entire series or something.
0: If it's a series of movies and you're like, we're going to have a mm-hmm. Star Wars marathon and watch all the Star Wars movies. That's that's one thing.
1: That's still <laughs> way
0: too much for me. but That's something. But to watch the same movie twice in a row.
1: I don't know. I've done it before. It's not the biggest deal in the world. Oh, no.
0: No, I've done before. no,
1: no, no. I did it with The Greatest Showman. I saw it in the theater twice. Back to back.
0: The greatest showman for your wife. Yeah, I've heard that story. And that's how I know how much you love your wife. That's how I know you really love her. Because like, no, I that would I would have if it were me, I would have broken up with her in that moment. And, like, uh, oops, sorry. Well
1: Yeah. The funny part about that is we weren't even going to see that movie in the first place. <laughs> the, the movie we were gonna go to was sold out, so like, oh let's go see this instead. <laughs> yep.
0: Well, I'm glad it worked out for you. I'll tell that story
1: in full uh when we talk about that show.
0: Someone said something about barnum is the greatest showman but you know the good version
1: (laughs) well it's definitely different this is
0: kind of our namesake yeah
1: it is it is our namesake but i'm we're saving i want to save that one for a special occasion